What up, Dale One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. It's a Wednesday evening and it can only mean one thing. Yes, we are here with the college football podcast. Last night a DJ saved my life. I actually sung it for you there. Ryan, (laughs) we are in... Ten weeks of the college football season have gone now. We have three weekends left before we get to championship week. The season's going by in a flash, and week by week, more and more teams, the seasons are done. And for some, the season's only just about to begin. Yep. Like I said, this time within next month, nearly all football will have been played, aside from bowl games and playoffs. That, that That's literally how close we are to the end now. We've got a handful left unbeaten. We've got a good number of teams already booked bowl spots. We've got some that are doing it as we speak tonight, throughout the weekend, next few weeks. But yeah, it, we have whittled it down to every division. Our conference now is down to final, what feels like final three or four teams that can really only be in it. And most of that, everyone else has just fallen by the wayside and is playing for pride right now. Yeah, you're right. We're down to our last seven unbeaten sides um, in the little scrolling section below. I keep who's in there. So you can see there we <clears throat> we lost one team this week out of the undefeated, undefeated group. And I can already see Brent is in the chat with us this evening, the happiest chappy in the world. Because on Friday, I wrote something rather degrading about his army black knights in response to a message he sent us um, on YouTube and I said they had a 0% chance of beating the Air Force Falcons this week and then they went and tanked them. Brent has sent us in a super chat, $2. Appreciate that. He goes, army clipped the Falcons wings. Yes, they did and army are going to get a lot of hate later for that. So I've got a special section devoted to army this evening, Brent. You're going to see me at my pettiest. And you're going to love it. Um, but yeah, um, we are going to be looking back at week 10 of the season. A lot went on. Not on the face of things. A lot of the big seeds won. Um, but then when you look below the surface, conference title games, all that sort of stuff is in there at the minute. And there were a lot of big results. So we have a lot to talk about. And then, of course, we're going to talk about week 11 coming up this week. It's the big one. Maybe the last chance James Franklin has to earn my respect as head coach of Penn State as they play Michigan, but we will talk all about that in a bit. Let's just give a shout out to everyone in the building first, because there is a lot of people in this evening. So thank you for joining us on Twitch. We've had uh, Silver Rush 24 subscribed at tier one, been subscribed for three months, currently on a two month streak. Really appreciate you subbing to the channel. Thank you very much goes LA bound, go Lions. Hey, have a great weekend. Hope that the Lions are able to uh, can the Chargers and carry on the push to the playoffs. Um, we'll be doing the show tomorrow, our Chargers preview. But yeah, have a great weekend in LA and hope the uh, Lions can get a win for you there. 
Got a lot of people in on YouTube. So Ash has been in there. He says, go Knowles. They, of course, won again this weekend. Uh, Lisa DeLorenzo's in the building. She goes, hi, Ash. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Ryan. Hope you're doing well, Lisa. Always great to have you in there. Of course, Brent's in the building. He was never going to miss this opportunity to rub salt in my wound. Hope you are doing well, Brent. Ken Stout is in the building as well. Um, Grandizer is in the building. Um, he says, we love when you sing, Anthony. Bloody good. Well, you know... You might be the only one, Brent, but grandizer, but I do try there. Um, Ken goes, I blame Ant for Air Force's demise. Yeah, it's on me. I, I got too big for my boots, and uh, fate decided to punish me. So, yeah, totally my fault. Got any questions or anything during the night? Just whack them in the comments. We will get to them. Let's just dive straight down into this. Uh, not really any news I want to go through um, this week. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the Big Ten. They're launching nukes at one another, and God knows what's happening with that situation. It's like become a big, a big episode of Takeshi's Castle where everyone's running around crazy, shouting stuff at one another, and God knows what's going to happen with it all. But it's just getting silly to this point. So we're going to dive straight down into the football, and there is a lot for us to go through. So we've got our few main games. Uh, we're going to discuss, and then there's the upset corner, which is full this week, the survivor's corner, which is also full this week, any pick watch fixtures we've not talked about, and then a few other games, we've got a lot to talk about, so we're just going to dive straight down into it. And as always, if you get into the title of the show you talked about first, you might not know right away who this was about, but last night a DJ saved my life, of course. We're talking about Washington running back Dylan Johnson and that absolute slobber knocker of a game on Saturday night, which I was lucky to just get home in time to see number five Washington on the road against number 20 ranked at the time USC going to the Coliseum. Me and Ryan both bet on Washington this week, but it was a week. Were they able to put the big boy pants on, go on the road and show that they are a serious team with serious aspirations for the college football playoffs. Well, what a game this was. Started off as a gunfight. USC started off an opening six-minute drive, ended in a two-yard rushing touchdown from Relique Brown. He headed the long way around to the pylon, 7-0 uh, to USC. Washington responded with a basically an almost identical drive. They took nearly six minutes off the clock themselves. They ended it with a two-yard rushing touchdown from Dylan Johnson, his first of many. But he just walked right through the front door. He ran in basically the straightest line forward that I've ever seen a running back run, and he didn't get touched. He waltzed it straight in to the end zone, 7-7. Both teams then had drives that stalled, which resulted in punts. But on the Washington punt, the USC special teams came up clutch. They blocked it on the Washington 8-yard line, courtesy of the tight end Cade Eldridge. And on the second play resulting from that, Caleb Williams faked a handoff, ran it in from one yard out, and it's 14-7 to USC. Washington, however, they march it straight back up to the USC red zone. But it looks like the USC defense gets a stop. What is one of those, they ask, because they don't know. But Washington get pinged by a 15-yard penalty because one of their own linemen participated in a play without a helmet because it had got knocked off, and you're not allowed to carry on in the play if your helmet gets knocked off. They ended up at 3rd and 18 from the 22, but then Michael Penix steps up with a play-of-the-season contender. He's hounded out of the pocket. 
He's contacted on the right hash, manages to break free, runs all the way over to the left sideline under pressure, and somehow he finds a throw right down the line to his tight end Devin Culp of all receiving targets, who makes a hell of a catch under pressure, even manages to get both feet inbounds, even though he only needs one. Uh, it's 22-yard touchdown, one of many big blunders from the USC defense, and they tie it up at 14-all. USC offense hits right back, though. They obliterate Washington on the ground. Austin Jones and Darwin Barlow broke off like 30 and 40-yard runs consecutively. They get down to the Washington one. Barlow gets the nod for the touchdown carry from one yard out. 21-14 USC. Um, USC then have another chance to get Washington off the field. Third and three at the Washington 48. But the Huskies with another beautiful play that wrecks them. So it's a run play. All the receivers head left, which take the entire secondary out the equation. The offensive line blocks in all the USC D linemen and linebackers to the right. And Dylan Johnson is left with a massive hole down the middle. He's one-on-one -on -one with the high safety, who is out of position as he was receiver watching. He sprints to the pylon from 52 yards out. Massive play, ties it all up again at 21-21. And the fun doesn't stop. USC then break out the box of tricks next drive. Caleb Williams hands it off to Zachary Branch, who's motioning left. He then stops his run, turns back and goes right. But on his way back across, he tosses it back to Caleb Williams and it turns into a flea flicker. And Taj Washington, he is all alone at this point because every Huskies defender has committed against the run. He just breaks off out the back. 41-yard touchdown, 28-21 USC. It's an ingenious bit of play calling and it looks every bit deliberate as well there from Riley. But in fairness to Penix, he is completely unflustered. He comes out next drive. His first play is a 32-yard dime to Jalin Polk. Um, but USC, they're able to get them to 4th and 6 at the USC 34. And once again, their defense screws up big time. Rome Adunze, of all players, is left alone. There is literally, when he makes the catch, no one within 7 yards of him. And they're able to convert all the way down to the USC 9 from 4th and 6. On third and goal, Penix finds Polk for the touchdown. It's 28-28. There's one and a half minutes to go in the first half at this point. And then comes the critical mistake in the game. Um, USC, Caleb Williams, he gets strip-sacked by Zion Tupoala Fetui. Washington get it at the USC 12 with less than a minute left. And three plays later, Dylan Johnson runs straight up the gut, untouched again. Dives in for his third rushing touchdown of the evening and Washington get their first lead 35 to 28 and with Washington getting the second half kickoff and USC unable to respond it's basically they steal two drives worth of advantage and this allows them to survive a big mistake at the start of the second half Penix four minutes in he makes a rare risky throw it's tipped picked off in the USC red zone by Zach Gentry the standout linebacker for USC one of the few good defenders um, and Caleb Williams then puts together yet another scoring drive. Um, big reception by Taj Washington on the drive. And then on fourth and one, he escapes heavy pressure. And another beautiful pass to Brendan Rice right on the edge of the end zone for a touchdown. The scores are level. But at this point, Washington now have first drive when the scores are level as opposed to USC who did in the first half. It's 35 all at this point. 
Dylan Johnson on the next Washington drive breaks off another huge run about 50 yards gets them all the way down to the USC one and Penix QB sneaks it in it's 42-35 but Caleb you know what in fairness to him they hit back again with another scoring drive he hits Mario Williams in the end zone with this beautiful back shoulder fade pass from 20 yards out scores are level once more but those were the last points USC would score and there's one minute left in the third at this point. It's 42 all, going into the fourth. USC's defense miraculously makes a stop. 12 minutes to go. Washington have to settle for a field goal at 45-42. But it's too late at this point. Caleb looks absolutely spent um, after carrying them all game. Austin Jones breaks off a huge run to the Washington 28. And even at third and 13, they can still kick a field goal to tie it up. But Caleb takes a massive sack all the way back to the 50. You can see him trying to run out of it. He's got no energy left, and they've got a punt as a result of this. There's eight minutes left at the time. And then Dylan Johnson once again. First play, breaks off a 53-yard run, breaks the spine of the team. Then he has a second run, gets all the way down to the USC one. He stiffs arms a defender back to the Stone Age on a run to the perimeter. And on the next play, he barrels over about four USC defenders to go in for his fourth touchdown of the evening. The drive eats up five minutes. USC are 10 down with less than three to go. And they turn it over with a minute left. And that is all she wrote. Um, sorry about the sort of lengthy monologue there, right? But this was an absolutely fantastic offensive game backwards and forwards backwards and forwards and we questioned maybe a little bit Washington's credentials in the big game this was huge for them they answered every question asked of them in this yeah right they they had leads they had turnovers they had penalties they they had a bit of, this was one of the first weeks of the season where literally everything's not gone their way other than like I say the Oregon win everything else has been fairly pedestrian and Penix Jr. has pretty much had his way with most sides, but USC, to their credit, this time their defense it got it got rolled over, but it still at times it did stand up and at least grin it bare its teeth a little bit, even though it's usually pretty pedestrian. But yeah, USC USC made some questionable decisions. Like I say, I think I just kicked the field goal instead of trying to snap another down. I'd say whether we're knocked out field goal range could have tied it. That felt pretty big. They, they left points on the board there. Uh, yeah, both had questionable turnovers, uh, crucial times. One, like I said, right at the end of half, one right at the start of half. That was those could have really swung momentum either way. But in the end, Caleb Williams probably couldn't have done a right lot more. Like I say, it shows like he feels like the season's kind of catching up with him now. Like I say he's eating a lot of sacks. He has got tired. Like you say, he's looked like he's uh, showing a bit of wear and tear from the season. Penix Jr., not one of his best days either. Like you say, he, he, he did, he's not had to rely on a heavy run game for most games this season, but Dylan Johnson kind of dug him out the, uh, the trenches at times a few times this week. So they definitely had to win it with a different style. And in the end, it, it showed. Now, nothing really stands between Washington and the Pac-12. Everyone has fallen away. Anyone that's emerged or tried to challenge their crown has gone by the wayside. And it, it, they look destined to make a playoff. I, I can't see how they can't, as long as they win out now. 
And I mean, the scary thing, I guess, for opponents here is everyone says it's Penix, it's his arm, it's Roma Dunsey, it's Jillian Polk, it's these guys. But as you've mentioned there, I think we saw one of the great running back performances in a long, long time on this one. So Dylan Johnson, who gets the episode named after him today, 26 carries, 256 yards and four touchdowns, going nearly 10 yards a clip there. And I know you've got a couple of 50-yarder pieces in there, but, I mean, like, his performance, the way that USC defense just could not deal with him, I mean, it was a running back performance for, I'd say, maybe the ages here. And, and just when they need it the most, you want to diversify your offense, put up points, especially when you're behind, take a bit of time off the clock, which they did towards the end. Superb from him. Yeah, good game management. They didn't try to put it all on Penix. If they put it all on Penix and try to get him to pass his way out of trouble, I reckon they probably lose this game. Because the second review SC, like say penalties as well, didn't have it all his own way. And other apart aside from some broken coverages, a Dunze and Polk and that, they weren't really besting the uh, the corners or the safeties for the majority of the day, if anything. So yeah. They had to show that they could win with a different style of offense this week. And on USC's side, I mean, I think this was the first week, because we, we critique USC a lot. We call them frauds. We've never critiqued the offense. That's obviously one of the best in the country. It's hard not to feel sorry for Caleb in this situation, is it not? Because drive after drive after drive, he's going out there and they're scoring touchdowns. And it's like, no sooner has he sat back on his chair then it's like their defense has given up a touchdown and he's got to go back out and he's got to do it all again. And you look at this game in a microcosm, he makes one mistake, that strip sack at the end of the first half, which it wasn't great. He'd sort of left the ball out behind him and it was loosely guarded. But some of those touchdown throws he made were amazing. The drives, just Washington couldn't handle him at all. And he makes one mistake and he loses. And he's at the end of the game. You can see he's exhausted. He's he's on his last legs. And that's not a knock on him. He's escaping pressure all the time. He's having to bail out his defense time after time after time. And you see the reaction afterwards where he's quite visibly upset and that. And it's, it's hard really not to feel sorry for him, isn't it? Given how much this team has let him down on the defensive side of the ball. You think all this work he's done all year. And ultimately, he's going to be lucky to get a prestigious ball game at this point. Yeah, and this goes back to last year as well. Like, it's frustration for him. He has he's done everything, everything that's been asked of him for the last what a twenty 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 one games. Pretty much nearly every week, bar a few dodgy performances, he's gone out there. He's been clinical. He's done everything that's asked of him. He has put up great numbers. He has given offense and done more than enough to win nearly every game he's played in. But defensively, consistently, more often than not, they have made his life so hard. It's it's like he's fighting the opponent and half of his team as well. And yeah, like I said, despite a Heisman, like I said this year, this feat, this season now has it's gone flat. He's got not to show for how hard he's played, how physical it's got. Like I said, they're gonna end up a crap ball game. That he's probably going to sit out because he's fed up, and I would too. He, he was upset because he feels like he's given everything, and realistically, what has he, other than maybe going first overall, he hasn't got a lot to show for it. He's not, he's not the Trojans. That one lot. 
Like you say, they ain't got to, he's got no accolades other than Heisman Real to show for it. Like you say, and yeah, unfairly, if you look back in five years, this time will be seen as a failure. It will be looked back on and it won't be remembered fondly because of a defence that was rotten, a head coach that just went out to play all out offence and try out score everyone, and a quarterback that unfortunately did everything they could but fell short a lot of weeks because they were inconsistent play on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, he, he has every right to feel aggrieved. That's, that's how he does feel. Yeah, um, it was... It, it, I felt sorry for him, given what's gone on. And for Washington, are we now of the belief that, you know, they... Have we got any more questions about this team in regards to the playoffs and what they're able to do there? Not really, no. They're a top five team in the nation. I don't think that can really be undisputed or they'll be unseated now. They just have to not lose focus, not look too far in front and make sure they win the title. And that should be enough to give them an automatic playoff berth. I don't really see how it can't. Yeah, I'm with you now. I think that, you know, obviously someone's going to slip up out of Ohio State and Michigan when they play each other in the game in a few weeks and they will be there and they should be in. An unbeaten Washington team should be in over a one-loss Big Ten team. So as far as they go, tremendous work from them there. And for USC, I mean, they've something's got to happen here. I mean, I know Brent asked in the other stream when we were there, is the DC fired yet? Alex Grinch, he is gone. They have fired him at long last. They are a bottom 20 defense in the entirety of college football at the minute. Um, they're coming to the Big Ten next year. They're going to lose Caleb. You know, and they're coming to a position, it's not very good, but they're going to be coming up against some very hardy defences, week in, week out, even the likes of Iowa, Northwestern, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and I don't know if they're going to take to life in the Big Ten as well as I thought before what I've seen from them this year. I think they've got some serious problems, and, and Lincoln has a lot to address with the conference change. Yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult transition. I saw someone post the day on Twitter the last time they played a Big Ten team, was Iowa in like 2019 and they lost like 45-20. Now regardless of the teams, is that an indicator? of <laughs> like A lot has changed between now and then but it does go back to times where they weren't so dominant. So I, I agree with like some of the defences that are in the Big Ten. I feel like the adjustment that they're going to make could take a year or two. Like I said, they're, they're going to they're gonna slowly find their feet. They can't expect to go in and just suddenly be a big and fish in a small pond. It does go back to... Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be a very tough transition for them there. Um, it's Lisa goes, USC has been very disappointing this year. They have. And we've called them a fraudulent team. And I think they've even surpassed our expectations for just how bad they've been. It's There's, there's been a lot of issues, so... Yeah, I don't know where USC go from here. Washington are going onward. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Anyhow, let us move it on. Um, yeah, thank you all for rejoining us. I say, if you've got any questions, anything you want to mention as we're on the show, just let us know. Grand, as I said, I've got some crackling on the audio. I, I hope not. I've just double-checked on YouTube myself. Maybe yeah, just a bit of background noise, but hopefully everything is all right now. Lisa goes, USC lost a few defensive players in the draft, didn't replace them. I mean, they lost... Um, Man, was it Manny on the defensive line? But I'm not sure they lost a great deal out of that. I'd have to look more if, if there's a lot of senior guys on that defense there. But 
I think there's a lot of established talent on that defense. Well, established guys. I don't know if it's a load of newbies, but they, they did lose people. But that's a, kind of something you have to go through. Anywho, let us move it on. That's the first main game we've chatted about there. The second one I wanted to mention, and you know, most weeks, as I say, I've done the the highlight a team week. I'm I'm at seven of seven now for teams losing when I've done this. So I just. At this point, I'm just going to talk nicely about teams who've done well this year and put no expectation on there. But there was another game this weekend which caught my attention because it was nearly one of the biggest upsets of the college football season. Probably would have been the biggest if just one pass went in a different direction. And as Ollie Hodgkins said, our our relative um, college football expert over here, one of the most knowledgeable guys in the country, labelled it. It was a big battle in the cockfight this weekend. More specifically, the fight of the Gamecocks. That is the Jacksonville State Gamecocks on the road against the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, bear in mind, Jacksonville State playing the CUSA. They are a group of five team who are playing their first season in the FBS this year. And South Carolina at home the resident big bad SEC team. They were favoured by 16 points in this one. And as I said, this came so close to being the biggest shock of the year. So South Carolina started off this game, very imposing drive down the field, kind of felt ominous for Jacksonville State. And I'm going to call them J-State just so I don't have to say their name 20 times through this. They drove all the way down to the two on the first drive and then they went in full sicko mood, mode, which I absolutely love. They brought in defensive tackle Tonka Hemingway for the carry as a running back. He runs into the line of scrimmage, pulls out this beautiful spin move, which takes him away from it all. He rushes in for a touchdown to give South Carolina an early 7-0 lead. And Jacksonville State, on their first three drives, they went three and out every drive as you thought, oh, hang on, we're maybe going to get a bit of a blowout here. But in that span, in the return op- in the return drives, the defense didn't give up a single point. It took till their fourth drive for things to get going. Quarterback Zion Webb hit a 31-yard pass to redshirt wide receiver the red redshirt senior wide receiver Perry Carter got them to South Carolina's 15-yard line. Then he found Sean Brown with a 15-yard touchdown to even up the score. However, it took South Carolina just 90 seconds to get back in front. Xavier Legat had a 52-yard reception. South Carolina soon got it down to the J-State one, and Spencer Rattler finished it off with a QB keeper to make it 14-7. South Carolina got the ball back again quickly after that, but Jacksonville State then forced a turnover on downs, and from that drive, they took full advantage. They got all the way into the South Carolina 5, and their star running back, Anwar Lewis, ran the ball in from 4 yards to even it up. Uh, one minute into the second quarter at 14 apiece. Teams traded blows for the rest of the quarter, but inside the two-minute mark before the half, South Carolina, they forced a very critical fumble recovered by none other than the touchdown scorer, Hemingway. Um, This allowed South Carolina to score before the half. Spencer Rattler found Xavier Legata from five yards for the touchdown, and they go in a score up. But J-State... In fairness to them, they didn't let it get them down. On the first play of the second half, their cornerback Kikora Tarnui picked off Spencer Rattler. 
he tried a huge heave downfield and uh, he got picked off. Uh, Jacksonville State offense then drove all the way down the field and the other quarterback who was playing for them, Logan Smothers, found Sean Brown for his second touchdown of the day to mark things up at 21 apiece. And Jacksonville State, their defense continued to keep making stops. And with five and a half minutes left in the third quarter, Zion Webb on a third and two in his own half finds a deep shot to Perry Carter he burns two South Carolina defenders alive for a 54-yard score, and Jacksonville State lead 28-21. to South Carolina offense continues to struggle, and it takes a huge play near the end of the third from Xavier Legetta again. Spencer Rattler finds him deep for a 65-yard touchdown pass and evens it all up at 28 even going into the fourth, Jacksonville State still trading punches with the bigger opponent. But then turnovers for them, unfortunately, start to take the game away. With 10 minutes left, Ron Wiggins fumbles just in south the side, the South Carolina half. But even then, it takes five minutes for South Carolina to get from midfield into the Jackson State 10-yard line. And the defense actually make the stop, so they have to settle for a field goal and just a three-point lead. Jacksonville State then go on a near four-minute drive. Uh, they scrap for every single yard. They get all the way down to the South Carolina 15-yard line. There's two minutes left. It's second and 12. They're in prime position to score a touchdown and potentially win the whole thing. But heartbreakingly for them, Logan Smothers picked off by Stone Blanton, who returns the 88 yards for a defensive touchdown and a heartbreaking end to Jacksonville State's fight there at South Carolina. It finishes Jacksonville State 28, South Carolina 38. But I mean, Ryan, what a plucky showing from the CUSA newbies. They are 7-3 and three on the season. They are second in the CUSA, um, joint second with New Mexico State with a 5-1 record. They are fresh out of the FCS, first season up here. And they go on the road to an SEC giant this deep into a season. And they're one pass away from upsetting them. The Gamecocks, Jacksonville State that is, can be very proud of themselves this week. Yeah, probably the best performance of the week in a losing effort. A lot of people will have probably been a bit wary of them making the jump up. Thought maybe they're not ready. They won't be able to handle life. But they've taken to the FBS like a duck to water. Just like JMU did, they've looked very impressive this year. They've held their own in uh, the CUSA. Best performance of the week in a losing out of schedule. Done well. A lot of people and will have probably been a bit wary of them to make. a team. That but even then, we know it takes well. five minutes. It's very unpredictable. South Carolina can either be really good or really bad. And we saw both of that. And Spencer Rattler is indicative of how up and down their season is because that's just how his career has been in general. This result was not surprising at all. Like so Shane Beamer galvanised them last year and they finished well. But this year, he's found it a lot more difficult to replicate what happened last year. Jacksonville State gave them a ton of problems, forced a lot of turnovers, which have been an issue. And in the end, yeah, they came up just a bit short, pulling off probably the biggest upset of the season. They're the real winner, though, because all this does is just raise more questions about Rattler, Beamer and South Carolina. So I, I genuinely believe they are the winners, even though that the, the record and the final score didn't show it. 
it gives them tons to build off going forward. And as of even early next year, they will be well in the title race in CUSA. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just such a shame that they're in that situation where they, they're not allowed to go for it. It's like James Madison are going through year two of the transition. They're top of the SEC, uh, the SEC, the Sunbelt West, um, like by miles or some at least by miles. Um, Jacksonville State, second you know, level with New Mexico State, but still they're up there and they're not allowed to go for it. And it's such a pain for them. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens if this official appeal that JMU have lodged again, see if they can get the rule changed. Yeah, you maybe. For them, that they kind of just, you should just abolish it. Yeah, you'd think so. With, with how, I mean, you know, you look on the other side and Sam Houston have sucked this year big time. And you get, yeah, but there's two teams now who are getting, uh, you know, put away by this rule which is just not fair for them but yeah the, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks what a game for them I was thoroughly impressed with them and how they played this and yeah it's just turnovers turnovers are the theme this week they win games USC made one mistake and one turnover which cost them the game Jacksonville State make two and it costs them the game um, as far as South Carolina goes a lot of questions about them but one question that isn't in doubt is just how good Xavier Leggetta is nine catches, 233 yards, two touchdowns. Without him, they'd probably lose this game, and that entire team should be buying him the beers this week. But he's going to be a very good draftable prospect very soon, right? Yep, and because of the likes of Adunze and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Keon Coleman, no one talks about him. His name rarely gets mentioned. He is a very solid prospect on day two with potential of lots of upside so yeah he's following quite a strong class which doesn't help him but he's doing his best to stand out on a bad team as well with a quarterback that well I think it's safe to say we confirm now that the Spencer Rattler experiment is just 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 pour fire on it yeah it's over it's over for him unfortunately it's not worked no, it's like that bonehead had pass out the start of the second half. They, they could have been out of sight. After what happened at the end of the second, you go out, he tosses a deep ball about 50 yards, which is well short of its target and it's picked off. It's just like, that's boneheaded. Don't do that. Be sensible with the ball. You nearly cost your team that game with a stupid pass like that. But yeah, anyhow, well done Jacksonville State there. So they're the two main games I wanted to highlight. Right, we're going to dive down into the upset corner now and there are five I've got in here this week and yes we're going to start with them even despite the initial stream getting sabotaged Brent is still in the building with us because he wants to hear us talk about his army black knights I mean I do say when it comes to the commander-in-chief's trophy throw form out the window because these are fiercely contested rivalries where everything and anything goes they're desperate to win it air force already had beaten navy this year so they were looking for the sweep but unfortunately it was not to be as the black knights destroyed them 23 to 3 on the neutral ground i believe it was at mile high in denver and yeah Army are flying mile high after that over the wreckage of Air Force and their unbeaten season, Brent. They were unbeaten and they were ranked in the college football playoff rankings. Look what you've done to the service teams here. There are no service team representatives left. But as I've mentioned, 
Turnovers decide games. USC had one. Jacksonville State had two. Air Force had seven. Seven turnovers on the day. They had five fumbles. They lost all of them. And Zach Larrier threw two picks as well. Army, on the other hand, completely clean day from them. And do you want to know what the turnover look was in this game? 20.3 points in Army's favour. So what that's saying is Army only got three of their 23 points off the back of their own work. The other 20 came from interceptions. And you'll see just how critical it is. You look at the average starting field position of both teams... Army's drives started on average at their own 41, so near midfield. For Air Force, it was 27. So nearly a down and a half difference between where you start on the field and where you're running teams. That is a huge difference. Zach Larriere, nightmare day for him. He actually threw 22 times. They had to go to the air because they fell behind. He was 9 of 22, 109 yards two interceptions on the day he carried 18 times for 82 yards he fumbled it twice he lost it twice so four turnovers from the quarterback jet harris fumble he lost emmanuel michelle fumble lost they is that is what does it for you on an army side I mean, their quarterback was quarterback extraordinaire. Bryson Daly, 4 of 9 for 42 yards in the air, but no picks. 34 carries for 172 yards and 2 touchdowns for him. They had 60 less offensive yards in Air Force, but right. You turn the ball over 7 times in a game, you're not going to win it. Full stop. And when 20 of your opponent's 23 points have come from turnovers... It's just not acceptable in this day and age, especially for a disciplined team like Air Force, who are so good at keeping the ball. This was uncharacteristic uncharacteristic of them. The, the mile-high air got in their brains a bit. Yeah, this was one of the worst Air Force performances I've seen in a long time. Army, we don't even should call it. Army weren't great. No, they were not. No, they were, they did, but they didn't need to be, because Air Force was so bad. They forced them into so many bad positions and when a game plan starts to unravel and you start to do things that you never usually do, like throw the ball 20 plus times, nothing good can come of that. Like I say, and Army just took the layups that they offered them, the great field position, and their defence just kept Air Force at arm's length all day. Like I say, in the end... It was pretty easy. They took one of the nation's best offences, well, on the ground anywhere, and they completely nullified it. And they made them look like it was like men be boys. And, yeah, it wrecked their season too. Unseason, their unbeaten record gone. Any chance of a New Year's Six ball, over. So they lost a lot on the day. They didn't just lose the game, but their season now has a very different outlook. But Army offers them tons of hope. I say if you can go out and do that against one of the best sides in the nation, then you should be able to do that week in, week out against lesser sides. So they should be really happy and they should be really encouraged by what they saw, especially all the takeaways they got. It showed that the defence can make big 
churn all the ch- wavy players on a weekly basis if it has to. Yeah, and for Army, it's now a point of you've got to build momentum because you're joining the American next year. You're going to be in a conference. There are going to be very real stakes for you. So you want to get that momentum going and you want to lay some big wins up this year. And that is that is a top 25 rank win for this Army side now. So that does them no end of good in terms of going forward. But at least the only good thing that comes out of this and the only thing that Brent's Army Black Knights cannot ruin about this Air Force season is it's not a conference loss. They're still top of the Mountain West. They're 5-0. and They need one more win to get to the championship game for good. So, you know, a little blip in the road for them, but our Air Force to be Mountain West champion prediction is still on. Just as long as they put this one to bed, it's a bad day away from the office at mile high, and they're done. But... Well done to Army. I did say that they had no chance of winning this, and they did. They were tough, they were physical, they beat Air Force at their own game, and, you know, kudos to them for that. Right, let us go on now with the other upsets, and, I mean, the biggest one of them all, it was in our pick watch this week, well, maybe the biggest one of them all, I don't know, but Bedlam was played for potentially the last ever time. Um, this year, right? I guess it won't be, but given that Oklahoma are on their way to the SEC, it's going to be very difficult for these two to play each other in future, given that SEC teams love to play scrub non-cons, etc. Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. I said I wasn't quite ready to believe in the Cowboys again just yet, even though they were on a winning streak and Oklahoma are coming off the loss to Texas, etc., I backed Oklahoma, Ryan backed Oklahoma State, but it was the Cowboys who have just affected a tremendous turnaround this season from getting wiped at home by South Alabama and some really bad non-con results to then just, they're on like a four-game win streak now. You beat Oklahoma in your own backyard. Um, You were right, right? This Cowboys team continue to make waves and again you've got to look at the turnovers here three from Oklahoma they fumbled it three times two of them were lost Uh, they threw a pick Dylan Gabriel threw a pick although this game is not on him just one for Oklahoma State you know you win the turnover battle very much so you win games Oklahoma State a lot more drives on this 81 offensive possessions to 64 offensive snaps for Oklahoma themselves but Quarterbacks both had themselves a field day. OK State quarterback Alan Bowman was 28 of 42, 334 yards. Didn't throw any touchdowns, didn't throw any picks, but they finished it off in the red zone. Ollie Gordon, the second, the name in the running back community you have to get accustomed to. 33 carries, 137 yards and two touchdowns for him. And quarterback Alan Bowman, he rushed in for a touchdown himself there. On Oklahoma's side, Dylan Gabriel... 26 of 37, 344 yards, a touchdown, one pick thrown, um, but this is absolutely not on him in this one. They they rushed pretty well as well. Gavin Sawchuk, 13 carries, 111 yards, one touchdown there as well. Way Walker got 59 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Um, this is a very close game, Ryan. It was a very good addition of Bedlam, this was, but again, it comes down to turnovers and Dylan Gabriel is another guy who was bold week in week out performed in clutch situations and his defense has just not done it for him and it's cost him in the biggest game of all for them this year yeah this this game felt like everything was on the line it felt like the loser 
is not going to the big 12 title game. And that's how I think it's going to pan out now as well. So, yeah, this was one of the best best bedlams of many years gone. And as you say, for the next three or four years, it'll be the last. I reckon it'll be, I reckon they'll announce a future one where they'll meet in like five years for like two years. But yeah, they, they, these two are not going to see each other for potentially quite a while. And I think one of them will be glad to see the back of the other. It's Oklahoma on the day. They were good in parts, but they were they were bad in parts. Like say fumbles, not a good day on the ground. Ball security was not good. But the Oklahoma State defense this year in most games has come to play and it has come to take the ball away. And it has shown that it has the potential to be one of the best defenses in the Big 12. And I think the offense now has finally got the confidence. And I feel like they, they've kind of settled on a quarterback now as well. Alan Bowman has kind of settled in last week or two or three as kind of getting the starting job, which has kind of brought a bit of stability to them at just the right time. And they look like a team that thinks it can win a championship. It looks like they finally convinced themselves. Before that, they were they had the makings of a team, but they just didn't look like they had. They fully believed in themselves now. But I think right now they're they're there. Like you say, Dylan Gabriel having a a kind of mini underrated Heisman season. Like you say, a good yardage, but in the red zone. The the OK State just kind of nullified him, and the takeaway in the end, like I say, was kind of nailing their coffin. He'll be kind of sad that this is how he's going to end his collegiate season too, because it feels like the Sooners are kind of are going to limp to obscurity now as well. Their season's going to fizzle out potentially, unless OK State slip up. Yeah, or they need a Texas loss because they hold the head-to-head on Texas. But you know, it's very tight up there at the top of the Big Twelve. Not really in their hands now. No, it's out their hands. They've they've because I think that they're level on record now. I think they're both four and or five and one in the conference uh, but OK State have the head to head so they've got to hope they lose or they've got to hope Texas lose again and there's a lot of implications but OK State looks so good in this and I think maybe we look back on that South Alabama drubbing they got at home and I mean they were absolutely smoked by them but sometimes a bad result in the non-con early in the season can snap someone out of a trance it can kick you into gear and that seems to have been like the finishing point for them when they're like, actually, we need to start playing now. That that was embarrassing. We're better than this. And now they're playing like they believe in themselves. So it's a great win for OK State. Oklahoma, like you say, their season's going into free fall now. So can they turn it around in time? I don't think so. But a great bedlam and I'm going to miss it. So hopefully they reignite that rivalry very soon. Right, let us move it on. And this is an upset. And it was an upset because I was the only one who picked this team to win. You don't bet against Clemson at Death Valley, was my words. Ignored by all. But Notre Dame went there, ranked number 15th in the country, and uh, they lost. And I just don't know what to make of this Marcus Freeman regime there now. I mean, this was tough sledding here. Notre Dame went ahead early through a field goal. But then Phil Maffer... The Clemson running back who's coming in relief of Will Shipley, who is injured, 41-yard run for a touchdown from him, um, put them 7-3 up. Then they got another touchdown to go to 10-3. Notre Dame could only muster another field goal after this early in the second. Um, Kate Klubnick then finds Tyler Brown for a 9-yard touchdown. Clemson 17-6 up early. 
And then a minute later, still in the second quarter at this point, uh, there's still eight and a half minutes left, Sam Hartman throws a pick six from the Notre Dame 24. Um, so that's 24-6 at this point. Game already looks beyond reach of them. They get another field goal before the half, but it's 24-9 at the half. Um, Audric Estime does get a touchdown um, first drive of the second half. They came out with a lot more urgency. Estime, hard running, gets it in there to reduce it to eight points. But Phil Maffer, five minutes later, gets his second touchdown of the day. It's 31-16. And two minutes later, in fairness, Sam Hartman, 26-yard run, gets it back to 31-23. Still six minutes in the third, but... No points scored after that. This just one went dead. It went to, to defense only. It was kind of two and a bit quarters of great offensive play, and then and then the defenses came to life. But I just I just don't know with Notre Dame anymore. Right? It, you've seen how bad USC are this year, so I'm beginning to think that that big win we thought they had against USC, where they were maybe turning a corner, is a little bit fraudulent. Because you go to Death Valley, you play the weakest. Clemson team in years I was thinking about this must be seven eight nine years since there's been a Clemson team this bad maybe longer and you get wiped by them so early you put themselves in such a hole that you just can't claw your way back out of it it's uh, are they just a bad team now I think it's two poor teams I think that's fair so yeah they didn't put on a good spectacle it felt it felt limped in it. It felt energyless at times. And for Clemson's healthy lead, you didn't really have to do a lot to earn it. I, it felt like Notre Dame's heads dropped as soon as they were two scores down. And I hate to say it, but it doesn't feel like the Marcus Freeman stint is going to last that long. I've been very uninspired by what he's brought to the Fighting Irish in the last two years. Not all his fault, but ultimately, who's the one that pays the price? How long did he get to turn this round? Sam Hartman, in the blink of an eye, has come and gone. And all the hype about, oh, we've now got one of the like, top 20 quarterbacks in the nation. He started well for like five, six games. It's rallied off. And now Sam, in the back of his mind, is probably thinking about now, what do I do going forward as a pro? He's kind of already checked out for me. He's already thinking about life after Notre Dame, and there's still a few games left. And Audric Estime was on a potential Heisman crusade after five, six weeks. It's fizzled out a little bit. Defences have got better, to be fair. they found better ways to stop him. They've slowed him down. And, yeah, when I say Clemson, it's, just, it's not a good Clemson team. Compared to years gone, it's not good. Dabo, Swinney, can't make magic out of can't make water out of wine every year. You can't, like I say, whether you continue to just try breaking young players and don't go out and get Paul Stars like that's that's kind of sticking to them old. They've been irrelevant in the ACC. So by start their standards, this is a big win. But yeah, through three quarters and then the fourth quarter, we just we could have just shaken hands and ended the game there. I don't think anyone really would have noticed. I don't think anyone was even paying attention at that point. These are two teams that. Right now, aren't going anywhere. No, they just feel like they've really lost their way a bit. They do, um, but I guess if you're looking for for positives for Clemson, I mean, Will Shipley's probably going to the draft this year. I think he is. But Phil Maffer looked really good for them. He had what 36 carries, 186 yards, two touchdowns. He did fumble it a couple of times, but 
it looks like they've got their guy for after him. They just need to find the quarterback to go with him now. Yeah. All right, we'll, will we see Will Shipley again this season? No. I, I can't. Even if he was healthy enough, I don't think he do. I think he's more preparation mode for, well, a bowl game or a, an all-star game, if I'm honest. I say, Cade, I was... I had high hopes for Kate Clubman this year. Maybe too high. Maybe I put those expectations on myself and he just wasn't able to live up to them. But yeah, it's definitely going to be a long, dragged out process of the quarterback. Like you say, you can't just keep getting them, which is fair enough. But yeah, at least they found an next running back. And they always produce the three couple of key defenders. But catching up to Florida State for Clemson the next few years, it could be tough sledding. It's not going to happen overnight, and I think the fans need to probably accept that that they're right now that they're, they're a long way off. I, th- I think they might have to, but I mean, you know, Florida State's going to lose a ton of talent next year. They're just they're full of seniors and, and guys who are going to the draft, so maybe they can, but they've got to make a head start quick. You know, so the defense can be good and the offense can be half decent, but yeah, but they got running back, and on the other side of the ball, Audric Estime. Well, I mean, he's going to go high in the draft next year, isn't he? Oh, I like him, yeah. I think he's offers a really good value project, like in the middle rounds. I think he's, for me, it's not a strong, actually, not, it's not a good running back class, is it? I mean, yeah, I want to get your thought on this, but did you see Mel Kuyper's thing he released the other day? He's got Braylon Allen as running back nine in this class. <laughs> I can kind of understand it. He's shown fragility, and he has struggled with injuries and up and down performances in the last year. So, I still think, like you say, you just look at the youth and you look at the size and the, all the things you can't teach. He's got things that just other people don't have. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But it is a strong indicator that this running back class, it's not a good year to need to be drafting a running back. No. Because you're going to be waiting until, like, say, around three, four and five to try find a diamond in the rough. There's yeah. no there's no Jameer Gibbs or B. John Robinson this year. There's not, no. a, there's not a running back one. There's not a round one guy. I don't even think there's a round two guy this year. I, no, right now without looking, I can't really think of a top 50 running back that no. I take. You're going to be waiting for the likes of... I mean, like next year when you've got Nick Singleton, Quinshaw Junkins, you know, guys like that. I mean, it's going to be stacked to hell. But this is a down year for running backs fully. Um, so, yeah. Notre Dame, I just don't know where they go from here. They have been bad. Right, let's move it on. There's a couple more upsets to go through. Um, number 19 ranked UCLA. Uh, I've not noticed Hatter's house in the building today. He loves his Bruins, but absolutely smacked around by Arizona, who continue to go through the biggest of renaissances this year since they had a bit of a dicky start. Lost Arizona 27, UCLA 10. Arizona dominated this 430 yards of offense to just 270 for UCLA. Ethan Garbers um, getting most of the starts now for, for UCLA at quarterback. I don't know whether Moore was hurt or not. I didn't look in too much to it there. But Arizona, Noah Fafita, 25 of 32, 300 yards, three touchdowns, just one pick on the day for him there. Had a carry for 20 yards as well. I mean, this Arizona team, right, if it wasn't in such a stacked conference this year, this they could be a late runner for the championship game the, the way they've been playing. They've, they've been highly impressive, as has the quarterback as of late. Yeah, they just started too slow. If they started faster, they'd probably be right in the race by now. Like I said, they've, they've won a lot of games in recent weeks, but it feels like they did all their damage in the first couple of weeks. 
they, they just got too they were too slow to come out of the blocks like say this quarterback very naive very young went behind years took him a few two weeks too many to find his feet and he's found it and they're both eligible for a six and three he's got them their ball and are they ranked in the top 20 now they're ranked out there the 21st yes, 21st yes yeah, so between now and then the end of the season it's all about delivering the best ball game possible and I, I don't see why they can't. I don't see why they can't go out and win most of their remaining games on their schedule. And the, the next year, boards very strongly because their team actually is really young. Mm. They're really not going to lose many players. No. And the one thing I noticed in this now is, is Jaden Delora is actually healthy. Like, he's, he's there. He came on for I a few snaps. I know. That's what I mean. Fafita has kept his spot. And, and Jamie Delora had a really good year last year for Arizona. And he's benched now. Like, Fafita's been that good. That just shows how good a year he has had. But, I mean, then, you know, you look at another team like UCLA. This has been a really disappointing end to the year for them. Oh, Started off so promising. It's bad. Yeah. It, you th- they've got a lot of questions to answer moving to the Big Ten next year. Like, the defence has been their calling card. Even then, you'd say 27 points. It's not the worst in the world. But that offence has just been rank. They, they miss He was never ready to play. I feel like it's the quarterback. Oh, quarterback, sorry, running back. There's just there's nothing there. Colin Schley was the leading rusher in this. He's the third string quarterback from Kent State last year. He's the leading rusher. It's like there's your issue. You like because DTR played really well, but he had Charbonnet for at least 80, 90, 100 yards per game which takes a bit of pressure off you and allows you short yardage situations a bit better. They just can't rush the ball this year. So it's putting Dante Moore, a freshman, or a redshirt freshman, whatever he is, in a lot of uncomfortable positions, which he can't deal with. And that's why he's been benched for Chase Ethan Garbers. So, yeah, a lot of questions there for UCLA. Lisa goes, Chip Kelly is a good coach, but hasn't made UCLA a winner. I agree. I think he is a good coach. Um, They just lost a lot to the draft. I mean, they lost Jake Bobo. They lost the other receiver who I keep forgetting. They, they lost a ton of that offense last year. So it's always going to be difficult. But even by their standards, this has been a little bit of a disappointment this year. And he'll need to hit the Big Ten running. The other upset, really big one this week. So they've got to go over to the Sun Belt here. And another team I kind of just wanted to highlight a little bit because of the season they've had. Um, about... I must say, it'd be about five or six weeks ago now, there was that image, as I say, a famous image, but an image going round of Butch Jones at um, Arkansas State getting consoled by one of his players uh, because of how bad things were getting. They'd been walloped. I can't remember who it was, but someone had dropped about 70 on them, and the Red Wolves season looked dead and buried. Um, But they're another team, like OK State, who... I don't know whether that did something to them, but it turned them around. And they're actually competing for the Sun Belt West now that they're in. Seven, they won this weekend at home 37-17 over the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. The Cajuns were eight-point road favorites for this. So you add on the home bias, they were saying they were better by about 10 or 11 points. Arkansas State blew them out by 20 Louisiana went ahead early in this one, but Arkansas State ran the ball well, good with the ball in the air, turnovers none, turnovers for the Raging Cajuns, two worth nine points, again, all comes back to turnovers there, but 
this Red Wolves team, Ryan, seems to have um, have turned it round on the ground through the air. Louisiana, they're not a bad team in the Sun Belt. They won it two years ago. And for the Red Bulls to turn around and thwomp them at home by 20 when outdone by 10, huge result for them and, and a team to keep an eye out on in the final straight st- stretch of the season. Yeah, they've really snuck up on the uh, the rest of the Sun Belt. <clears throat> that probably, that, well, to be fair, had, ri- had rightly written them off three or four weeks ago, but they're now on a, a healthy win streak and they've thrust themselves right back into contention late in the season because other teams have been slipping up and they've taken the eye off the ball and they've let them word their way back in. And yeah, they lost seventy to six, didn't they? I remember that. Yeah. That, that it was a that that was that was that was big, yeah. But it just shows, like I say, that just what a couple of wins can do for momentum, for the the confidence in a side. And ultimately, even if they fall short, you can take a lot of solace going into next year that you finish this year really strong after basically being completely embarrassed getting your ass kicked so i i honestly you should be they should be really proud of themselves no matter how things end that they've got a really good strong foundation to build off of next year yeah and they've got a big game this weekend we're going to talk about again in the pit watch late but i'm just happy for butch jones in that regard i did feel really sorry for him after that absolute whomping they took um, but he's turned it round, and if they could turn that parlay that into a championship game appearance, God, it'd be the turnaround of all turnarounds. He'd be up for coach of the year, definitely. But on the flip side, very quickly, Michael Desormu. I mean, ever since Napier left, I mean, they're losing some bad games. He's a season and a half in now. I reckon his seat's going to be feeling a little bit warm sooner rather than later, Ryan. Yeah, that like I say, two years off from a championship, but totally different team. It's all gone. Back then, I think the quarterback was Levi Lewis, that Joel Threat stood, and he left the year after. And slowly, things have kind of, yeah, unraveled. Like I said, they've they've really fallen off the pace, and uh, they're now being dragged right into that middle pack of obscurity. And yeah, they're on a bad run. You're going to see how you get a grace period usually after winning a title, but that was two years ago. Unfortunately, like. School's over now. I say the grace period's gone. He can't really fall back on that sort now. So he, he they're in, he's in trouble. He ain't going to get much longer to turn it around. No, no, he's not. I, th- I think he's in a bit of bother there for sure. But yeah, that's everything in terms of the big upsets this week. Moving on, and the teams who are a little bit more fortunate who get to crawl into the survivor corner and live to fight another week. I mean, you know, we talked about the New Year's six representative from the G5, maybe not going to be Air Force this year. Well, it nearly wasn't Tulane this week either, Ryan. I mean, this was a shocker. They went on the road to East Carolina, who have not won a game all season in the uh, in the American, who look absolutely terrible in the post-Aylers era so far. 13-10. to 10, They won this one by against an East Carolina team who only mustered up 190 yards of offense on the day to Tulane's 370. I mean, Tulane had 213 in the air, 156 on the ground. East Carolina had 120 in the air, just 76 on the ground, running at three yards per carry. But this was the ultimate way of... This was the ultimate bend-not-break defense performance from East Carolina, Ryan. I mean... 
Michael Pratt was good again, 16 of 25, 213 yards, a touchdown, no turnovers. Weirdly enough, no turnovers from either team in this one, hence why it was was really close. But East Carolina were able to drag them down into a street fight. We know Tulane are classy and finesse, and they're good on offense. East Carolina having to slug and street fight at the minute at the bottom there. And oh, Tulane were really close. To losing this one and, and that would have been a shock in itself as well this is why I worry about a team like Tulane everything's always going their way it's always sunshine and rainbows and lollipops but then the worst team in the nation comes along that's got nothing to lose they've got nothing to play for and they just want to go out there and make life really ugly and disappointing and try to cause the upset then throw Spanner in the works and you suddenly start to question, do they belong in a year six bowl? I said, did they completely overlook East Carolina? Did they just write them off to think this would be a cakewalk? That, if they did, that's disappointing. And it almost cost them very severely. Like I said, there's been talks about say Michael Pratt now after that game. He's thinking about life after the Green Wave. What he's going to do, they're saying he's hitting the portal, but now he's accepted the senior bowl invite. He's, this has been a kick up the ass to him to now think about what he's going to do life after Tulane. But yeah, ECU post Holton Ayers and Keaton Mitchell have been one of the worst teams in Division One football. I think that's fair to say. And I think yeah. I didn't think they knew they'd be this bad, but adjusting to losing their best AAC quarterback statistically of all time was always going to sting a little. But no, they played one hell of a game. And if they'd have won it, they'd have thoroughly deserved it because they, they made life miserable for Tulane. Like I say, no turnovers. It was just pure bad football on both teams, poor execution of offense, and really stingy defense. And for some people, that's kind of stuff's unwatchable. But other people, that is such a bread and butter. There will be people that actually would love this game. Oh, yeah. Full to them. Like I said, this is another team like Jacksonville State where the winners are ECU because they've realised that they can put out that kind of performance against the top 17, 20 team in the country. Right, that That is really commendable when they are literally at the voyage of giving up and just thinking about the, the off-season because they've got no to play for. And on the other side, Tulane, I hope this is a kick up the ass they need. Yeah. Like, they need this. They, that Everything before now has been pretty straightforward, but they almost took the biggest upset of the season. And now they need to power on and see out this season strongly and be a bit more careful. Yeah, I mean, because this was a big chance for them to... Because they could move up as high in the rankings as they want. They're 20th right now. That could have been higher because there's, te- there's two lost teams in front of them now. I think this is a bad win in terms of like looking at the CFP them. rankings. Uh, but they're 20th. I think they moved up a spot, so they're still there. But yeah, I think like Air Force... This needs to be a kick up the arse for them, except they've got their win streak intact, hence why you're a survivor. But this was terrible. They were 10-0 down early. They brought it back, but they did not look convincing at all. And speaking of not looking convincing at all after a good start, we go to the Big 12. We, we love going to the Big 12 this year because it's such a dumpster fire. But Texas, we mentioned Texas earlier. Are they going to screw up before the end of the year? Well, they nearly screwed up big time this week, playing K-State came all the way down to overtime. Kansas State 30, Texas 
34 and boy I didn't see this coming Texas dominated the start of this game first quarter um, Malik Murphy who's come who's in relief of the injured Quinn Ewers in fairness to him had a decent game finds Adonai Mitchell from 37 yards for a touchdown they're up seven then they kick a field goal it's 10 CJ Baxter 54 yard run really impressive for a touchdown the 17 zip up um, with 11 minutes to go in the first half and then in the last minute Kansas State finally get on the board Will Howard finds Philip Brooks from six yards so they're at least on the board by the time the half comes along but then Texas kick on again Jonathan Brooks, who's the apparently consensus number one running back in this next draft, five yards, touchdown in the third. Then they get another field goal. And so just before like the third quarter is about to expire, they're winning 27 to 7 at this point at home. And you're thinking that's all she wrote. But as the third quarter expires, first Will Howard finds Philip Brooks from 26 yards for a touchdown. Then, two and a half minutes into the fourth quarter, Will Harris finds Keegan Johnson from 12 yards for a touchdown. And then, well, I think it was about 60 seconds later, Will Howard finds Jace Brown for 32 yards for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, they went for a two-point conversion. It failed, but they went from 27-7 with one second left in the third quarter to 27-all with 12 and a half minutes left in the fourth um, they trade field goals towards the end so six minutes left Texas get a field goal and then with one second left one second remaining Kansas State were trying to go for the win they have to kick a field goal to take it overtime and Texas are the lucky ones they get a stop and they're able to kick a field goal themselves to walk away 33 to 30 winners but Ryan I mean this <laughs> This won't feel like a win for them. I mean, when you you lose a 24 or 23-point lead in four minutes and you scrape over with a field goal, this is going to feel like a loss to Texas. They didn't deserve to win this game at all after that epic meltdown. No, and I'm annoyed because I think Kansas stayed and I, I saw this coming, I'd say. But, yeah, it was a weird one, I'd say. Such a healthy lead. It's one of those, I'd say, in football terms, they park the bus. Didn't they? they just try to see it out and it's amazing how quickly things can unravel in space like say you know, four minutes three back to back to back touchdowns stacked uh, and kind of like punch drunk here like they don't know what the hell's happened to them Kansas State are in the authority they'll there's one thing I say you Texas will have been really happy the first three quarters and won't want to forget the fourth quarter Whereas everything that happened before that, uh, like two minutes left into the fourth, will have been forgotten by Kansas State because it was bloody terrible. And then they'll just remember the fourth quarter. They'll they won't worry about anything that happened before that because they were so good. And then, yeah, they come up clutch Texas in overtime, which they get like one percent credit for. But ultimately, does d- did they really deserve to hang on when they? Uh, they knew Bedlam was happening as well and that they could not afford to slip up. And they knew Kansas State would win as well. Also would have been straight into like potential title race. So they knew everything was on the line. And with such a healthy lead, they just went to sleep. And ultimately, Kansas State should be really mad at themselves for not punishing them because that loss for them kind of ends their season almost. Like, yeah. They couldn't 
Liverpool lose either. So between Oklahoma and Kansas State, they both are licking wounds at two potential season-ending losses. Both could have won in their own right. I say with Texas, hang on for dear life. I'm pretty sure I read as well Quinn Ewers last week is now day-to-day. I think he plays under. Maybe they'll look a bit better. But Malik Murphy, to be fair, in his credit, he ain't done too bad in relief. He's kept them he's kept them right in the race. And they've still got they still hold their own destiny. That's all you can ask of him. But yeah, they dodged a huge bullet. And that should be a lesson to them that although it's currently in their hands, can't take it for granted. You've got you've got you can't rely on help from people because they didn't get any help this time. No, no, they didn't. Um, and you know they were one of the few teams this week to benefit from the for to benefit from worse turnovers. They they turned the ball over four times, Texas, and they still won this. And that's kind of how Kansas State came back to it. There was the botched snap that went over Murphy's head. They gave it back, and there were three fumbles, all lost, a pick lost. It's like Kansas State had plenty of opportunity to win this. A win in the Big Twelve title. I, yeah. I am convinced of it. I am. I, I think Coach Gundy has he's, he's got them firing at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Texas do not look convincing at the moment, so we'll see what happens there. Right, moving on, there's a few other big ones who are in trouble this week, and the most disappointing one of them all, maybe, for us, Missouri. Missouri at Georgia. They went to Athens. And you know what? I I know what you're going to say. I know you're going to critique Missouri and what they... But I I do want to say where this Missouri team have come from, they put up one hell of a fight in this game, Missouri go down to Georgia. It was 30-21 to Georgia, but this was a competitive game all the way into the fourth quarter, and they gave as good as they got. They were in the lead in the first half. Georgia started off with a field goal, but then Brady Cook to Luther Burden. I mean, Luther's just an absolute stud. He was playing with a knee injury in this game and still went for them there. Um Dominic Lovett, he fires back, UGA 10-7 up, but at the half, it's 10-all. Harrison Meavis, um, if you want a kicker from college, Harrison Meavis is pretty damn good for Missouri, but it's 10-all at the half. They take the lead in the third with a field goal again from Meavis. Then Georgia have a couple of scores. Kendall Milton run for 15 yards. Carson Beck finds Oscar Delt from five. It's 24-13, and you're thinking, oh, hang on, this one is in trouble um, but Missouri fight back Corey Schrader runs for 12 yards for a touchdown at the start of the fourth and Brady Cook finds Luther Burden for a two point conversion brings it to 24-21 and in fairness you know Georgia get a field goal goes to 27-21 Missouri are driving for a touchdown towards the end of the game and it just doesn't quite happen for them, um, pick is thrown, but Missouri, right? I mean, Georgia had given up six sacks all season before this game. They sacked Carson Beck three times this game on their own. The D-line against a formidable opponent, they made Carson Beck work harder than he's probably worked all season to this point, and plucky underdogs going right to the end. I don't know what you think. I think, I, I feel sorry for them, but I don't know about you. I don't feel sorry for them, but I do feel like that they're closer than I thought they'd be at this point in the, the year. I, I did not think they'd be anywhere towards competing for an outside chance at an SEC scalp. So that's a lot of credit to them. Uh, Georgia, 
still don't look great, but they're getting the job done. Like I say, it took the Malachi Stark interception on it to see the game out. Like I say, wasn't a good throw, but he made an individual player that iced the game. That's what good players do. Georgia showed a lot of respect. They knew that they knew this Missouri team for once was a credible threat. And they've not been able to say that for a long time. I think the future for uh, Missouri is pretty bright if they keep Eli Drinkwitz. If, like I say, I think someone might try poach him. I think it'd be too soon for anyone to do that, but I think he will get suitors. But, yeah, the future is bright. I like Mizzou. I like the football. Bird and, like I say, a future star. He can only get better. Brady Cook should hopefully improve as well once he gets more consistency and more, just, just more football under the belt. So there's a lot of bright young talent there. And they should recruit pretty well now as well. Like, if you want to believe the term that, yeah, Mizzou is back, that'll be helping with recruitment. And then the next two or three years, they should be able to hoover up some of those three and four stars that slip through the fingers of Georgia and Bama and LSU. But Mizzou being back is good for the SEC because the SEC right now, it needs it. And yeah. Georgia, like you said, they, they've not been dominant by any stretch of the imagination this year. They've been clinical when they need to be. They've, uh, they're still right positioned in a well to defend and win another title. Beck isn't Stetson Bennett, but he's done a good job of trying to impersonate him and lead the offense. Yeah, it was a good contest. I say it was a decent test of Georgia's credentials. So Mizzou did themselves justice when a lot of people didn't give them any chance at all. I say they only fell by less than two scores, which is pretty good by their standards. So yeah, I think next season these two will meet again and it could be a very different story. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I do think Mizzou football is in a very healthy position now, but I think a lot is going to come back to how they bounce back this weekend. I mean, can they take a loss like this and carry on winning? Because it's acceptable to lose against Georgia right now. They're one of the best teams in the country, but you've got the Vols coming to town this weekend. The Vols, I mean, they're ranked higher than them, but they're not a good football team right now. You've got to beat these guys at home to show that you're in that echelon, but... As for Georgia, I think they're going to get underrated now because, you know, they've struggled. They've not been dominant. But for me, I'd argue that Mizzou would be every single team in the Big Ten not called Michigan or Ohio State. Is that a fair assessment? I think the teams they're coming up against compared to what Michigan are coming up against are worlds apart. Is, is that unfair or what would you say it is? Yeah, it's fair because the middle ground of the SEC is miles better than the middle ground of the, the Big Ten. Like I say, when you think about your Tennessees, your all Miss... What is left to discover? Your kind of teams like that, they're miles better than Minnesota and Wisconsin and Nebraska and Rutgers. So yeah, Mizzou would more than handle themselves in the likes of a Big Ten, if not, like I say be pushing towards being a top two side. Yeah, so I, I think that can maybe attribute to why Georgia have not been as dominant this year, and that might just send people under the radar on them. When they come up against a team like Michigan, maybe they'll actually be a lot better than we think, just because they're playing better teams weekly, but who knows. But I was very proud of Mizzou in this, and they're going in the right direction. Hopefully they can win this weekend to prove those right. Um, there was a team you mentioned 
in there very briefly who we need to talk about now and people are going to say why is this in the survivors section because it was a 19 point margin of victory but once again college football's biggest frauds ryan survive by the hairs of their chinny chin chin because of things that go against because of things that go against us all who are waiting for them to fail uh, ohio state winners 35 to 16 against rutgers in a game in which rutgers were highly competitive maybe more i know you've been sort of the champion for them this year but they look good gavin wimson 129 yards and a touchdown through the air didn't really put it in harm's way kyle monagai 23 carries 158 yards on the ground going at nearly seven yards a carry against this defense and you know ohio state did what ohio state do i mean marvin harrison's just the chico didn't get the yardage in this but got the touchdowns but just week by week they continue to look underwhelming and how they're one in the college football playoff rankings I don't know, because that Notre Dame win looks fraudulent now, because they're not a top 25 team, but Rutgers handled themselves very well in this game, and I think now their resurgence looks a lot more legitimate after this, despite them losing. Rutgers were good. They gave them really competitive. Unfortunately, they just, yeah, they ran out of steam. It was the in interception the end, Rutgers, that did yeah. it, wasn't it? In the it? end, Rutgers just didn't have enough. They, don't, they just don't have the firepower. They don't have that Mavis Harrison Jr. They don't have in a, a Boca or Julian Fleming Stover. They just don't have the weapons to go to toe to toe. And yeah, Ohio State continue to win, continue to underwhelm, have, have rarely put sides away in such a dominant fashion. Their 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 one overall ranking seems really bizarre. I, I find very few ways to justify it over a like of a Michigan. I just I just I just don't get it to be honest. I haven't watched them yet and think, yep, they're the best team in the country. That was a dominant performance and Kyle McCord looks like the next coming of CJ Stroud Jones or Justin Fields. Because he just doesn't. No. He just does not film with that confidence <laughs> that the previous conveyor belt of Ohio State quarterbacks has. So that's why I can't have them as one because I just don't have the faith in the quarterback and their results. They've won their games, but some of them have just the scoreline's not matched out well. And Rutgers, yeah, got a bowl game, got a lot to hope for, want to finish the season strongly. I've been really good, but even they know their own limitations and they knew they knew this weekend was too much for them. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a shame, was it? Brent agrees. The interception killed Rutgers' momentum. They were on top, and then it just it just feels like when Ohio State are behind, someone makes a mistake, and they benefit from that, and then you just you feel the momentum turn. But they are not a number one team. That Notre Dame win is no longer a good win. That should not be counted for them, because they are not a top 25 team. I know they were when they beat them, but they're not good. So that should be struck off the resume there. Every week, I think Michigan are going to beat them by more and more. I said four scores, I've said 30. I reckon it could be as much as 35, this result could be. They will absolutely rinse them. If they can keep Harrison quiet, Ohio State don't have a chance. Michigan are going to destroy them by loads. I thought that Ohio State getting one, and then when they play number four, they get absolutely dogged. Because it would be quite funny. Because that would make the committee look really fucking stupid. It would. 
Yeah, Michigan are going to dog them completely. Absolutely going to dog if them. If Washington got far and went into like into Ohio and beat Ohio State and Penix Jr. just dices them, that would honestly be my dream. Yeah. They would look so foolish. That that would be my dream. Washington go and destroy Ohio State and Michigan and Florida State destroy one another so I can watch Ash like like have such a breakup with the Michigan community for it. It would just be amazing to see those two teams destroy each other. Brent goes, I learned this game that Rutgers has NFL talent at cornerback and running back. I mean, you've you've been highlighting the Rutgers corners for some time now, now right? He's one of the best potential corners in next year's draft. If anyone doesn't know him, go look him up. He's an absolute stud for Rutgers. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this is the first time I've really seen the running back do, you know, for much. But I agree, he, he looks pretty good as well. So we're going to have to do some tape work on him as well. Um, still more seeds who struggled this week. And um, Texas A&M on the road at Old Miss number 10. Uh, Old Miss win 38-35. to um, An absolute shootout. In the SEC between two teams and an old miss just you know that that Alabama loss looks so bad on them now but you can kind of see why the defense isn't there Texas A&M I mean don't forget that they, they're running a backup quarterback at the minute um, I mean I guess Max Johnson is a starter but he is the backup for all intents and purposes this season but they put 35 down on them three scores on the ground one through the air, nearly four, 450 yards of offense from Texas A&M, which is rare. Old Miss put up 514, of course. Um, they play a turnover-free game, which is good. Quitshon Junkins back to his usual self. Three touchdowns, 100 yards. Guy's going to be a superstar, but it makes you wonder how Old Miss are ranked 10, doesn't it? They're, they're not the 10th best team in the country. They are very fraudulent, and they're, again, very lucky to win this game. Yeah, it was difficult. Uh, if I looked, uh, it was the wide receiver again that I put in my mid-season mock draft, Trey. Trey Harris. I, didn't today. I suppose when you look at their schedule, it's 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 pretty strong, but they're not beating teams comfortably. They do give themselves a hard schedule, like I said, they've played a lot of difficult teams. They've dispatched a lot of them, just not convincingly. And... They do enough to keep the board happy and keep Lane Kiffin in a nice high-paid job because they win a lot of games. They don't win some of them convincingly. They've not bridged the gap to Georgia or Alabama or even LSU. So they are there. They will always be the bridesmaid, not the bride. So yeah, they're probably like a 15th best team in the nation. But they'll always go out there and try play a very hard competitive schedule. But yeah, putting Max Johnson... I say last. I think he was last year's starter as well, who was very underwhelming last year. But never remember him. letting him kick your defense's ass, and then again asking an offense to play perfect football because he didn't turn the ball over and only won by three. He's asking too much. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. It's yeah, the the defense just isn't there for them, and the offense has been going. You know, Quitshon Junkins. He's he's going to be a first round pick next year. Not not twenty twenty four, but twenty twenty five. Guys, guys, a star is he won this one for them. I think they, they went to him in the last two minutes for the touchdown to win for this. And we've talked about him enough. Guy, guys, gonna be absolute stud, isn't he? Yeah, he 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 is brilliant. Ole Miss is turning into a very dependable running back team, producing good backs. But yeah, 
when you look at him and probably like say Nick Singleton, Rocket Sanders, I reckon might be twenty twenty five. I I think he could because of the injury, he could probably need another twenty twenty four season under his belt. But it could be a very stacked class in twenty twenty five. Yeah, it makes me lament. I mean, Arkansas got their first win this weekend in, in, in the SEC and, and Rockets back. There's no correlation there. As much as I love KJ, you know, even the best quarterbacks have to have a running back at their side to help them do this. And the second he's back, they win a game. It's no coincidence at all. Um, right, let's move it on. Other near upsets. Um, oh, they did it last week, right? It was the Bet train last week. Iowa State with the seventh team to come up and maybe snap the streak I have of, of backing teams and them not winning, but they came up short. But, I mean, not for want of giving Kansas a big a big challenge here. So Kansas on the road. They beat Iowa State 28-21. to And, I mean, early in this I got worried because, you know, Kansas came out and sort of gave them a little bit of a hiding um, they got Devin Neal gets a touchdown run in the first one then Rocco throws a pick six and you're like oh dear god this is just going to go absolutely terribly but they fought their way back in they were they were 21-3 down with nine minutes to go in the fourth in this and then Eli Sanders gets a touchdown run they get the two point conversion Rocco Becht gets a rushing touchdown comes in performs really well then Kansas get like the backbreaker it was an 80 yard touchdown from Jason Bean to Lawrence Arnold um, but you know Iowa battled hard they got a field goal because they needed 10 near the end so they set up for the field goal tried to get the onside kick couldn't get it I mean Kansas looked really good for Iowa State it proves they're not quite there yet they, they are getting better as a team but they're just not quite up to Kansas as standards yet. But it was a really good comeback from them, and things are trending in the right direction for Iowa State. And for Kansas, you know, Big 12 Championship is still up there for them as well. Yeah, Kansas continued to hang, cling on to hope. Despite how they've played times this year, they still potentially can get a ticket to the big dance remarkably. Iowa State... Yeah, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly from Rocco Becks this year, the young man. This week, like I say, turnovers crept back in. He was a costly one as well, the pick six. He'll he'll learn from that. He's played a couple of get clean games before that, and it just came at super uncostly time. They did everything they could, like I say, in any ends. They almost got the ball back from a chance to steal it. But, yeah, this is a sign that it's a young team that's, just not there yet and ready to compete with the big boys. My only fear is they lose Matt Campbell before they're ready. Yeah. And I think very realistic possibility that he does get a better job. Yeah, I think someone's going to be... I think a lot of big programmes might be looking for guys in the off-season. He's definitely going to be one of the ones up there. As for Rocco, hey, he was 20 of 26 for 216, so Rocco's going to be a really good quarterback against a good Kansas defence. He played really well. As for Kansas, I don't know why Devin Neal gets more love as a running back. He consistently week in, week out is a menace for them and I never hear his name mentioned. I don't know if he declares this year, but certainly if you're looking for under the radar running backs, Devin Neal at Kansas is one of them. The other close upset before we move on this week, Sam Houston got their first win, I think, of the season this weekend, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> it was a three-point home win, 24-21, to over Kennesaw State from the FCS. Now, you think, why is he laughing about that? Well, next well, year, maybe. the Owls are going to be their conference mates. They're making the trip up next year. They're going to be up along with uh, Sam Houston and Jacksonville State. And um, very quickly on this one, Sam Houston, they're, they're just not ready, are they? This is an FCS team at home. They're going to be your conference mates next year. You beat them by three. They just eked their way to this. It's one of those, you know, like when a Man United's really struggling in the league, they lose three or four games, and then like the teeny tiny team comes along and they beat them 1-0 and they're nervous and they're just not playing the best football and it's a it's a jammy win that they don't really deserve. This this was the epitome of that for Sam Houston. They did not deserve to win this at all. Like over day when they beat Fulham 1-0 and added time. That, yeah, yeah. that was what Man United did, yeah, after playing so much, yeah. I question Sam Houston's intentions when he jumped up. It's got to be money. Because the football team as a whole, the programme, it ain't ready. All this season is done, has confirmed that. And then they get their first win, but they limp to it against a potential team that also I think is not ready and yeah. has been granted eligibility next year to jump up to. And it says a lot about both of them that neither of them is ready for the FBS. Maybe financially they've been forced to take the jump. Maybe they got the opportunity and they just couldn't pass it up. But it's going to be tough old sledding for both of them for the foreseeable future until they find their feet. And others have shown it can be done within a season, but others have proved that that's not always the case. No. No, a rotten win there for Sam Houston. They're not going to take no comfort from that. They need to win a CUSA game this year. But uh, well done, Kennesaw State. Good one for them. That's everything in terms of the survivors. Uh, the pick watch games now, the other ones we've not discussed. Well, Ryan won the week this week. He went 8-2. and two. Notre Dame let him down uh, at Clemson. And the other team to let him down was, was Nebraska, who went down to Michigan State. They got us all. Everybody bet on Nebraska. Michigan State won 20-17. Good God, the Big Ten outside the top three is an absolute dumpster fire. And speaking of dumpster fires, we had the lowest ever points spread in history, Ryan, last weekend. The game at Iowa and Northwestern had a 28.5 over under. The lowest ever given to a college football game in history. They went under it by 12 points. Oh my dear Lord. Iowa 10, Northwestern 7. I'm not going to spend any time on this at all, Bailey, but good God. I mean, how bad does it have to... Iowa are ranked 22nd in the nation. I watched it and I love Iowa football. <laughs> and it was not pretty. It was, it was bad. And Iowa were not good. Michigan State were just worse. And yeah, honestly, you, you when you when you just dissect a team and their ranking, how on earth they're a top twenty-five team? I'll never know. It yeah. literally is just pure ranking based, and the fact that they're again on the verge of a, another title game. Not a lot stands in between them because not a lot, not many teams have actually stood up and challenged them. And the Big Ten West, like I say, is just rotten. It is just absolutely garbage. It makes and me cry. I'm so glad the Big Ten is adding teams next year because the thought of them merging these two and not adding anyone else, it'd be an absolute bloodbath. And a lot of it would just be totally unwatchable. 
Big Ten West teams, it'd be like they would not know what hit them when they're going to merge with the East. Yeah. They are, they are in for a big old shock. Yeah, yeah. Then, then a lot of them are going to be some rough performances next year from some of these teams when they get exposed. Um, other results: Akron in the MAC beat Kent State thirty-one to twenty-seven. Kent State had a three-touchdown lead with nine minutes to go in this one because we everybody bet on Akron just because they were at home, and Akron with the most remarkable of turnarounds, and they would because I went to bed with about 11 minutes to go. I stayed up and watched it, and I thought, oh, God, here we go. Went to bed, woke up. Oh, they've won. Missed the most exciting part of it. So, yeah, it was rotten for them. Um, Boston College, 17-10 winners on the road over Syracuse. Me and Ryan both picked that one there. Utah State, overtime winners against San Diego State, 32-24. to Ryan got that one right as well. And then the other big one in there... Um, LSU versus Alabama. Alabama, 42-28 to winners. In fact, no, it wasn't. Was it LSU who let you down? Did you bet LSU? No, you bet Alabama with me. But fun game. Jalen Milrow, four rushing touchdowns. And actually, I looked at this and I'm thinking, the scary thing is Alabama look like they're getting their act together now because Jaden Daniels got harassed all over. He got knocked out the game eventually. Nussmeyer had to come in. Because I've not seen what's happened, but I think he hurt his jaw. He got absolutely trucked on a sack, and it looked like he fractured his jaw or something. But um, Bama, Bama, I mean, early on, this was a slugfest. Battles going, but Alabama just ran away with this one in the end. They're, they're, they're starting to look scarily good now. Yep, they've got hot at the right time. And people think Jalen Milroy is a, a potential dark horse for the Heisman if they make a playoff run. And that is honestly my worst nightmare, them handing it to him, like I say, because he's not deserved it for like half the season. But no, at just the right time, someone has lit a fuse in them and they're winning games comfortably. Like I say, it's, they took Jane Daniels out, whether it was right or it was wrong. When they went, as soon as he left the game, the game was over. Garrett Nelson, my like I say, has never played any real football. He can't run the offense like Jalen could. And Jalen Daniels, like you say, right now, he's like the second favourite for the Heisman. So he can't afford a serious injury. So like I say, he wants to win the Heisman before he declares whether LSU do anything or not. But yeah, LSU's hopes, that's a big setback for them. But yeah, Bama right now, they, is by hook or by crook, they are firmly in the SEC race. They can win the SEC still. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they do. That would be just such a Bama thing to do. I mean, how how chaotic would it be, obviously, if Bama beat Georgia in the championship game? You've got Bama with one loss to probably a very highly seeded Texas team, which ranks as a very good loss. You'll have Georgia with one loss to the SEC champions and, you know, their resume on there. And then you've got Ohio State, Michigan, you're going to have probably an undefeated Florida State in there as well. You're probably going to have an undefeated Washington. That playoff picture becomes murky as sin by that point. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going to... That's going to be crazy. We'll, we'll see with that. Lisa agrees with you. Jalen Milrow does not deserve a Heisman. He's not going to be in it. He's, there's no way he's going to be in it. Someone like Michael Pratt should be in front of him in the Heisman race, but, you know, hey-ho, tis what it is. Um... But other other results out of that week, Boston College, right? 
five-game win streak. <laughs> the Eagles from been the mockery of this pod for most of the first month of the season uh, still in with a chance of, of getting to the ACC title game yep uh, amazingly all because of one Thomas Castellanos hmm? they've had a freshman quarterback well freshman quarterback has come in filled the shoes of Phil Jerkovic and he's just doing wonders right now and they're not high-scoring games, they're not blowing teams away, but somehow they've managed to stack many wins in a row. And whether I think they deserve to get there or not, yeah, they, they, they have a chance. Yeah. And potentially a chance at a decent bowl game. And if you'd have offered them that after like four or five weeks of the season, they would have absolutely beat your hand and your arm off. So, yeah, they're making the very surprising late run into the season. Whatever yeah. comes of it, the future is bright because next year it's his job. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the ACC is going to be in flux. Clemson, not there. Florida State going to lose most of their starters. It's there to be had. The window opens. So Boston College may be a dark team to watch next year. Um, just moving into other games of notes. We've been chatting about these for a while now this week. So... Hawaii got their first win of the season. Good for them. Always like to look out for the Rainbow Warriors. Beat Nevada on the road 27-14. Underdogs, plucky underdogs we talk about. Coastal Carolina on the road to Old Dominion. We did a show on the Monarchs not so long ago and their progress this season. Coastal Cal only won by four. (laughs) 28-24. The Monarchs continue to be impressive this season, and I believe they still, even with this defeat, have an outside shot of reaching the Sunbelt title game because of James Madison um, not been allowed to unless their appeal is successful. Um, you've got New Mexico State, who beat Middle Tennessee at home 13-7. to New Mexico State, 5-1 and one in the CUSA. The kill train lives on. They had a rotten start to the season. Had some horrendous losses. And they are frontrunners to join Liberty in the dance for the CUSA Championship game in there. Stanford win again. 10-7 winners on the road at Washington State who are on a five-game losing streak now. God, how far ago does that feel? Arkansas first win of the season in overtime against Florida, 39-36. Some big high scorers. Memphis home winners, 59-50 over... USF South Florida um, Golesh continues to do well there I know they lost 60 in this one but the offense looks really good and UAB and Trent Dilfer won at home 45-42 to over Florida Atlantic who've kind of flamed out any any games there any teams um, that stand out to you sort of some of those results there Ryan? Uh, well I watched some of the Memphis game it was hella fun why is there Memphis are a uh, They've got a good record this year. They look a good side. And, and USF gave them a world bubble. They, could, they just would not go away for the entire game. And in the end, yeah, what was it, hundred like 110 points? 109. USF, like I say, offense firing up full cylinders. Defense, less said the better. But at least one side actually turned up this week and made for a very entertaining game, yeah. So they'll definitely be a side to watch going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I say, Golish, he had he inherited such a bad team. I think they're two and three this year in conference. That's good, and they're competitive. 
So that's what you want to ask for for teams like that. Old Dominion, terrific season for them in the Sun Belt. Uh, I think they're in the pit watching a bit. We'll talk about them. And the Kill Train at New Mexico State, Jerry Kill. New Mexico State have been a laughing stock for years now, right? But they made the move to the CUSA. They're 5-1. They're probably going to play Liberty. Their only conference loss is to Liberty, who absolutely smashed them. But that's big progress for that team this year. Yeah. Sometimes just, just swapping a conference can do wonders for a team. can give you a new lease of life. And they've got all the... They don't need any more encouragement than the fact that they like they can make a title game and get revenge. That That would be the perfect swan song to a season if they can take down Liberty and Venge their only loss in conference that would probably be one of the best and brightest storylines of the year if they can take it down it won't be easy because Liberty like say a look have looked shit unstoppable year, but, yeah but they, they will have a chance and they won't need any more moment, uh, or any more encouragement than they've already got well, do you remember the Liberty team? I think it was two years ago when we first started doing the show. I think it was the last year of Malik Willis. They were undefeated right until the end of the season. The last week of the season. And who beat them? Who absolutely smacked them? New Mexico State. <laughs> I think they beat them like 42 to 10. And that was when they were bad, bad. And they just got absolutely wiped. So Liberty are known. I mean, last year when they beat Arkansas. Yeah, they beat Arkansas. They were unbeaten in the season to that point and then they lost three in a row like indescribable they like the losses so they're prone to a bad season breakdown so yeah Brent's right Jerry Kill can coach he'll be coach of the year if he wins the CUSA or he'll be a big candidate for it at that point um that's everything in terms of most of the games that I, I assume you don't want to mention ASU this week given what happened <laughs> I just no. don't know I just it was ugly. Utah, no, let's not mention it. Let's just not mention it. They played Utah and lost. That's putting it mildly. Um, so that's everything for week 10. A lot went off in there. Um, a lot of big results. A lot of fun. Hopefully that continues. Um, kind of nicely to round the segment off. Brent's asked us. Um, he's put, so who's in the lead now for the trophy? I'm assuming because we've been talking Heisman. He means Heisman, but... Who's who leads the Heisman race for you now, right? I know, I know who I think, but who do you think it is? I think Michael Penix Jr. Then it's Jaden Daniels. Uh, I don't know who's third, but those are my top two. You can kind of interchange them right now, but I think they're the top two for me. For me, it's Michael Penix, and then there's nobody else. I I think Michael Penix is that far ahead at this point that it's going to be very difficult to catch him. They would have to implode big time towards the end of the season. I think it would be Penix. I think it would be... I, I agree with you. I think Jaden Daniels will be in there. I actually think Caleb will probably be in there as well. I think he'd be third. Oh, yeah. But the, the losses will count against Caleb. But I think Penix by far and away is, is Heisman frontrunner. It's his to lose. It's his to lose. If he's just good for the rest of the year, he'll win it at a canter. Right, let us move it on and let's take a look ahead to week 11 we'll do the pick watch fixtures first and then we'll talk about the big one that everyone wants to talk about because it is the big one this week so um because this week a lot of the ranked teams are not playing good to it's a terrible slate this week in terms of um in terms of the ranked teams for the most part so we've i've gone pretty out my way to pick some hard ones this week because paul's leading the league by a long way so 
Going to be difficult this week, right? But let's see what we make of it. So starting off our slate for the pick watch fixtures, Wyoming at UNLV, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas Rebels. Third meets fourth in a battle of Mountain West contenders. The Cowboys, that's Wyoming, sit fourth. They are three and two in the conference. Coming off a 24-15 win over Colorado State, which snapped a two-game losing streak for them. The Rebels, they are coming off a royal hammering of New Mexico. Interesting, they won 56-14, but they lost the time of possession battle 38 minutes to 22. I don't know how that's physically possible, but they managed it. They scored 56 points in 22 minutes. They are 4-1 in the conference. They sit third. They're level with Fresno State, but they're below them because they lost the head-to-head the week before. Obviously, the Air Force Falcons sit 5-0. and oh. It's must-win for Wyoming. It's pretty much must-win for the Rebels because if Fresno State win, then they need to be ahead of them outright because they can't get ahead of them on the head-to-head. Um, but the Rebels... You know, we highlighted them a few weeks ago. They lost to a good Fresno State team, but they rebounded in a great way this week. They're at home. They're performing really well. Uh, But Wyoming, we just don't know what they're going to get with them. They've got like the 126th ranked passing attack in the nation, but they're still pretty good. They run the ball really well, and and that's the kind of team they are. Who who have you got in Mountain West action this week? Wyoming at UNLV. I've already picked Wyoming before, and they, they did me dirty. And I've not been impressed with them. And I think this will be the last nail in their coffin of the Mountain West Hawks. Give me UNLV. I'm going UNLV as well. And for me, this is the theme of this week's pitch watch. There are a lot of teams don't score and can't play from behind because they can't pass the ball. No, there are a lot of teams with what I'm going to call they've got job interviews this week. So a lot of teams, UNLV have a job interview for the Mountain West title game. This is their opportunity to really stamp their foot down and go, you know what? We're not just a mid-of-the-table Mountain West pack. We're one of the better teams. Obviously, the head-to-head with Fresno State is there, but I believe in the Rebels. I think they're heading in the right direction, and I think they got beaten by a really good Fresno State team. There's no shame in that. They're at home. They've just cakewalked someone there. I think they're going to do it again. So UNLV sweep. Big ranked action next, right? SEC, number 13 ranked Tennessee at number 14 ranked Missouri. I think that's unfair on the uh, Tigers to be ranked lower, but hey-ho. These are the two contenders for best of the rest in the SEC behind Georgia. So obviously Georgia is 6-0 in the conference. Both these teams sit 3-2. Tennessee a second, Missouri a third. Missouri coming off that painstaking loss to Georgia, which maybe they could have won, but they looked damn good in the process. Tennessee, they erased UConn 59-3, but that's blowing out one of the worst teams in college football this year. They've been laying low since the Bama defeat. They're on a two-game win streak, but we kind of know what both these teams are, right? Missouri at home, but they're coming off that loss. How are they going to react? Can they still be a high-level SEC team? After that, are they that are they at that point? Yeah, who have you got? Tennessee at Mizzou. This is going to be like a ninety-point game, I think. This is going to be a proper blowout, ding dong. I'm going to put my faith in Brady Cook bouncing back and having a career day. I believe in Mizzou as well. I think this is the game that the past Mizzou team would lose. I think this team is built of something different. I think Luther Burden's going to go off. 
Tennessee defend the run incredibly well. They got one of the best run defenses in the country, but they can't defend against the pass. So Brady Cook and Luther Burden are going to slice them down. Brent goes Wyoming and Mizzou, so he disagreed with us on the first one, but we got a Mizzou sweep, all three of us, on the second. Next up, we're going to the American Temple at South Florida. So two particularly favoured teams on this pod. Um, Temple are coming off their first conference win of the season, 32-18 to win over Navy. It's not been the season we hoped for from them, but... EJ um, Warner is still having a really good year. He's at 2,100 yards. I think he's 16 to 7 with his touchdown to interception ratio. It's much better than last year. Threw a lot of picks last year. Um, and they've got a big win in the bag. South Florida, they've surpassed expectations all season. They're seventh in the American. They're 2 and 3. They're coming off that really high-scoring loss against Memphis, 59-50. to Obviously, Temple loved to throw the ball, and South Florida showed they struggled with that this weekend, just gone. But, so, bottom of the American here, two teams favoured. Who have you got, right? Temple at South Florida. I'll take Temple, because I've watched South Florida a few times, and their defence is just exploited too easily. Too many big players, and Temple... Not great season, but can move the ball, can attack the outside and attack corners. This should be a fun one, but I think the Owls' offense will just be too much for the USF defense. See, this is where I'm at. On paper, this is a USF win, but USF, and they, they are a developing team themselves. Alex Golesh is building something really good there, but they are a developing team, and they're going to have more bad days than good at the minute. And they've got Temple rolling into town, I think Temple are that little bit more established. EJ's in year two. He's still looking good. I think the matchup favours well. I've got the Temple Owls as well. But I hope it's a good game. I'm going to hopefully they might show it and I'll be able to watch it because I do like both these two teams. Brent with the hot take going can Marvin Harris Jr. be worthy of the first overall pick next year? Let's stop in the way there, Ryan. Any way MHJ goes first? Nope. Too many quarterback needy teams. He's not even going top three. I think the only way it might happen is if Justin Fields comes back, balls out the rest of the year, but they lose every game, and Chicago decide that Fields is their guy. Maybe he'd go first then, if they hold I the first the and second picks. It, I think the Bears then just trade it for another mountain. Yeah. I'd, he's worthy of it. Put it this way. I don't want him anywhere near the NFC North. I don't want the Bears to take him. I don't want the Vikings to take him. I don't want Marvin Harris Jr. in this conference. He is that good. When he says he'll be better than his dad, I believe him completely. Um, right, let's carry it on. Um, next, we're going to the Sunbelt East. Tussle for two teams who are still in with a chance of claiming a spot in the title game. Appalachian State at Georgia State. They both sit one win behind Coastal Carolina, who themselves sit behind James Madison, but James Madison can't play, as we've discussed already. Uh, App State 3-2 and two on the season. They're on a two-game winning streak. The last weekend, they dropped Marshall 31-9, and Marshall are one of the disappointments of the season. Georgia State are 3-3, three and three, but they are the latest victim in the James Madison Revenge Tour. They got hammered 42-14. to 14. James Madison are just making everybody pay for the committee's refusal to let them take part in this um, but they hold the head-to-head over Coastal Carolina, so a win here 
puts them right in the mix. They've been running the ball well. They've been throwing the ball well, in fairness. App State have been hit and miss, but both three win teams in the Sun Belt East, Rye. The winner has a chance still of making the title game. Who have you got? App State at Georgia State. Give me Georgia State. Their offence for me has just been far more impressive this year. App State, for where they are, I've just, they've severely underwhelmed. I say they've, they've beaten on some bad teams, but I just I just don't rate them. I think, like I say, Georgia State, knowing they have that head-to-head and knowing that, like I say, they can literally leapfrog Coastal, potentially late in the season, that should be enough to light a fire in them. Yeah, I'm not worried about the drub into James Madison. James Madison are just the best team in the conference by some distance at this point. So I'm not too concerned about them getting drubbed like that. I think they'll beat App State as well. So we're sweeping for Georgia Tech there. Uh, Brent also agreed with us on the Temple pick. So we're agreeing a lot today. Ooh, this this is the first one where we may have some consternation. So I talked about job interviews for teams who are not in positions they used to. New Mexico State on the road at Western Kentucky. New Mexico State have been an independent for a while, but they're certainly not used to competing for conference titles. This is big for them. So third meets fourth in the CUSA. Teams clamoring to be Liberty's dance partner. Now, the critical thing here, Liberty are top. They've just beaten everybody. Um, But second and third are Jacksonville State, and New Mexico State on five and one. Now, Jacksonville State are ineligible, so that basically makes New Mexico State the team there. So, like I say, after a few horrendous non-con results, they have effected a remarkable turnaround. Five on the bounce, 13-7 win over Middle Tennessee. The kill train is hot. A win here seals their place in the game against Liberty. Western Kentucky are the only ones who can catch them. For Western Kentucky, it's simple. They've got a win or the season is over. And even then, Western Kentucky are only on three wins. So even if New Mexico State lose this and lose the head-to-head, they still have a one-game advantage on this. And they are in form. Western Kentucky's win at the weekend as well. It was scrappy. They played UTEP, who've been horrendous under Dana DeMel this year. They beat them 21-13. to But this is in Western Kentucky's house. We know what that offense is like. It's not like it's been the last two years. It's still pretty potent. New Mexico State, this is uncharted waters for them, fighting for a conference title spot. But they have won five in a row, and they're grinding wins out. They are beating teams big. They're winning every which way possible. Do they succeed in their job interview this week, Rye? This is a chance for them to book their place against Liberty. Yep, they will not leave it to chance. They won't leave it to fair. They will do it with their own hands and they'll end the hopes of everyone else this weekend. They're going to the title game and I think they'll win it convincingly. I think they will rise to the occasion knowing that this is the biggest, one of the biggest games in programme history. I, it has to be, surely. Like I said, I think they rise to it and I think, yeah, they go in their house and they pull the rug from them. You know what, we called New Mexico State a dark horse for the CUSA in our preview that we did many moons ago now. And I lost faith in them after a few of those early wins, and I feel bad for it, and I they have earned my faith back, and I want to believe they can do it this week. Yes, it's Western Kentucky, Brent, not not Kentucky, not, not the SEC team, it's Western. Um, I think New Mexico State can do it. I think they're going to go on the road, and they're going to upset Western Kentucky this week. I've not checked the betting line, but I bet it's pretty heavy in Western Kentucky's favour 
But I think Jerry Kill's a great coach. I think he's got a great team going there. They've been moving in the right direction. I think they're going to ace their job interview. So sweep for New Mexico State for us. Don't know whether Brent's going to change his mind or not, but he's with Kentucky for now. Um, and then we're going to move back over to the Mountain West, Ryan Fresno State at San Jose State. This is the battle for the Valley. So this is the Cali Valley battle. Fresno located in San Joaquin Valley, San Jose in the Santa Clara Valley, both in California, and both battling for a spot in the Mountain West title game as well. Fresno State are four and one. They're on a three game win streak. Latest victim was Boise State this weekend. They beat them 37 to 30 at home. Boise are done for the year. As I've mentioned, Fresno and UNLV both sit 4-1. They're both chasing the Air Force Falcons, who are 5-0. So they can afford to slip up as they hold the head-to-head, but they'd probably rather win this. San Jose, they're in the clutch of teams at 3-2. They're playing a must-win game. San Jose have lost to Air Force, so they can't catch them. But if they can beat Fresno State, they'll move level on them with four wins, and they will hold the head-to-head there and then it just depends on what UNLV do. Fresno State have woken up from an early slumber. They they had some bad results and then they had the drubbing win against yourselves Power 5 team. They look like they've turned a corner, they look good but the San Jose State Spartans, we saw early in the year they pushed USC although not many teams haven't this year I guess. Um, they're 3-2, and two. they're at home as well Fresno State on the road. The Mountain West has been hard to predict this year um, who have you got, Ry? I just look at <clears throat> who's been there and done it before when it really matters the most, who's the one that can get over the finish line. I'll take the Bulldogs. Not been great all year, but they've got experience in big games and that carries a lot of weight, even on the road. I think San Jose State, they're not ready and I feel like they'll, uh, they'll go into a shell. Brent agrees with you. He also picked New Mexico State, so thanks for that, Brent. We appreciate that. Um, oh, I don't know. I Yeah, I think if I went emotionally here, I'd go San Jose, but I've got to go with my head. I'm going to go with Fresno State as well. But I think it'll be close. I think going to the Spartans, and they're under pressure, Fresno State. They lose this. They're sent, well, they're not out of it, but if UNLV win and the Falcons win, they're out of it. So they're under a lot of pressure here. Um, over to the ACC. Virginia Tech at Boston College, and believe it or not, both these two teams can still make the title game. Um, both sit 3-2 and two in conference with three games left. However, both of them sit two wins behind Louisville, who are 5-1, and one, and Louisville have beaten them both. So if one of these teams does want to go to the title game, they've got to obviously win this game, but they've got to run the rest of the season and hope that Louisville don't win one of their remaining two games in the conference. BC, as I've mentioned, one of the hottest teams in football. They're winning five straight, and they're coming off a road win against Syracuse. It's not a good Q's team, but a win is a win. And for this Boston College team, a win is definitely a win. Virginia Tech got absolutely marmalized by Louisville at the weekend, 34-3, to which kind of shows the gap between these teams. But two teams who have maybe defied expectations this year we didn't expect much of Virginia Tech we didn't expect much of BC but with three weeks left they're both still alive right one's bang on form and at home is this going to go the way we think it's going to go or is there another 
twisting the plot yet for Virginia Tech. I'm going to go Hokies upset. I'm going to say they end and snap the run of Boston College. I feel like it's just going too a little too well. Oh, see, I don't like this. Brent's picked Virginia Tech. I'm going to go Virginia Tech as well. I love what Boston College are doing. I think it's been tremendous, but I'm with you. They're, they're not the best team right now, and they have an upset in them somewhere, and this feels like it's going to be that. Can Virginia Tech run the rest of the schedule? I'm not sure, but I see the upset there for them. Um, we've got a couple left, three left. UAB at Navy back in the American both sat in the clutch of five teams they are two and three they cannot make the title game so this is for pride for most UAB are three and six Trent Dilfer's first year they cannot make it to bowl eligibility there's only two games left for them so they are playing for pride at this point Navy however they are three and five they can make a bowl game if they win out but they did just lose to Temple this week who hadn't won before this and UAB are coming off a win um, a high scoring win there which we mentioned um, UAB at Navy Ryan American bottom of it we know Dilfer likes to throw the ball we know Navy like to run the ball Navy still have something to play for UAB don't who've you got I think a team that's got no to play for is very dangerous and Navy historically bad at defending the pass I think UAB will end their season here and now. Yeah, I've got UAB as well. Um, I, I do think they've got a bit too much for Navy. Nothing against the service teams, but Navy have been the bad service team for a while now. Yes, Brent, of course, I know you're going to go service team. You've loyalty to your service teams, and that is very commendable. I appreciate that. Um, and I have no loyalty to Trent Dilfer. I think he's going to be fired this time next year. I think he'll be done, but... Yeah, I think in a battle of two teams with little to play for, UAB will nick it. Um, CUSA now, Florida International at Middle Tennessee. Uh, Middle Tennessee, and they sit third and second bottom of the CUSA. They've both just won one game this year. Florida International are one and five in the CUSA, but they are four and five on the season, so they have a shot at bowl eligibility if they win out. Middle Tennessee... One and four, they are two and seven overall. So their season is done and dusted essentially. And again, just pride to play for for them. Florida International on the road at Middle Tennessee. Rye, who do you have? I'll take FIU. I'll take FIU as well. I, I don't know. I'm not overconfident in either of them right now. But. <laughs> I'm sorry this is a rotten slate, but there's no good ranked fixtures this week outside of the most ones. And I'm not putting Michigan-Penn State in because everyone's going to bet Michigan. I just can't do it. I need to have semi-competitive fixtures where people change. But yeah, I just believe in Florida International just because. But I mean, quickly, Rick Stockstill, what's he at? 18 years at Middle Tennessee now. Why has he not been fired? They've been bad for a long time now. They've got FCS teams coming up to the CUSA. Jacksonville State, 5-1 and one this year while they sit one win and you're like come on they've got to do better than that I don't understand why he's still there I, I don't think he knows how he's still there I think they've just given up and stopped caring they gave him a new contract this year as well I think it's crazy Middle Tennessee have some pride and pick someone who might do something there for you for the love of you're 2-7 and seven on the year it's over already with 3 weeks to go have some pride uh, and the last one 
Our final job interview of this section, Arkansas State at South Alabama. Some Belt West action here. The Red Wolves somehow given themselves a shot at winning it. They sit 3-2 and two in conference. They're just one game behind divisional leaders Troy. However, Troy hold the tiebreaker on them. So they need to win out to have a chance of getting through. But they're coming off that massive dismantling of Louisiana. Anything's possible for them. And Troy have looked vulnerable. South Alabama, however, they're finishing the year real disappointing fashion. They're on a two-game losing streak. They got beaten comfortably by Troy this weekend, 28-10, to 10, which ended their Sunbelt hopes, which is disappointing because I put a lot of stock in them this year and they have under-exceeded spectacularly. But they're at home and for Arkansas State, they're the ones under pressure in this, not South Alabama. Arkansas State could go to a title game and they need to win this. Can they pass their job interview, Ryan, or is South Alabama going to ruin the party? I think the the Jaguars will do to them what Troy did to them. I think they'll take pride in uh, passing on the bad luck and ending their title hopes. I'm going to go with the home team to cause what would be... It'd be an upset. It would be. (laughs) You know what? I think we've agreed on nearly every pick this week. You know what, screw it. No, I'm going to go South Alabama. I do love Arkansas State and what they've done, but yeah, I think this is maybe a step up for them. They're under pressure, South Alabama are not. Uh, Troy aren't in this one, Brent, sorry. It's um, it's Arkansas State at South Alabama. You've got to pick one of them too. I just mentioned that Troy are top of the division. Um, he bet Florida International as well, so we're pretty much agreed on everything apart from Navy. That is really interesting. So yeah, um, our, uh, South Alabama sweet for us, but I hope Arkansas State do well. Right, in terms of other fixtures, let's talk about the other ones this weekend. And there's only one place to start, right? It's the big one in the Big Ten. I mean, for me, it's a last it's a last gasp chance of my prediction about Penn State being good this year coming true. Michigan ranked three, Penn State ranked number ten, and we know what these teams are. Um, oh, Brent's gone South Alabama as well, so we're about just agreed on everything. This, for me, feels like James Franklin's tenure in Penn State. I Oh, you did pick Wyoming, Brent. He needs a, he needs a signature win against somebody. Ohio State were there to be taken, but he passed it up. You're at home against Michigan. You've got to put up or shut up at this point. Your defense is playing incredibly well. Your offense has been a little bit finicky. Michigan are just playing well across the board and destroying teams left, right, and center. I don't know. How do you feel? Are Michigan just going to push them aside again this week? Are Penn State just going to fold like a deck of cards? I don't know. What are your thoughts on the game? I've already abandoned my Penn State hopes. I think Michigan are going to absolutely go in there and kick the snot out of them. And yeah, it could actually... Well... I highly doubt it's in a Franklin because I reckon his buyout is that high. I reckon they're, they've properly screwed themselves by tying him to him. But I think this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back and the, the tide turns. The fans might turn on him. Yeah, I think he loses the fans if he loses this one. Is there any way Penn State... I mean, of course there's a way, but I guess, one, you've got to keep Michigan off the field. You've got to get your run game going and you've got to win the time of possession there. And two... 
Drew's got to shine under the lights this time. That's what held them back for so many years. Sean Clifford just couldn't do it when it mattered. Drew's in his first year, but they might not get an opportunity this good again to complete the trifecta of results they need to get through. They've got to beat Michigan, and then Michigan go and beat Ohio State to give themselves a chance. It's, is there any hope for them? Yeah, getting rid of J.J. McCarthy. An injury and knocking him out of the game. That's genuinely the only way I think they'll win. Brent goes Michigan 37-17. You think it's going to be that high? I don't think it's going to be a high score. I think it might be like the Ohio State game. I think you might be looking at something like 24-17, to but... I want to believe in Penn State so badly. I thought they were different this year, and they've just not proven to be so far. So, yeah, I do think Michigan are going to win, but I think maybe by 10. Penn State will put up a bigger fight than Ohio State will against Michigan. I'll say that much. Uh, but, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's going to be a struggle for sure, that one. Um, other games? Old, well, old Miss... Wow. Oh, Rutgers are going to blast Iowa. I think they're oh, going to kick them out of Iowa. Days. On the road at Iowa? Yeah, I think they go in there and I think they beat them comfortably by two scores. Oh my days. I think Iowa have been, under Daxon Hill on the centre, have been absolute garbage. And Rutgers' defence as well is, is pretty good. Wow. I never thought... The Rook... You know... You're a fan of both, but the Rutgers fan has come to the front. Wow, hot take there then, folks. Right, I think and Arizona State will beat UCLA. <laughs> oh my God, he's got the hot takes coming in early today. I've not even had a chance to go through some of these. But um, yeah, okay, there are your hot takes. Um, Michigan State at Ohio State. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so funny if the Spartans went in there? All these good teams have gone and failed and then the Spartans go in and win, but... Of course they're not, because Ohio State beat the snot out of them every time. I can't think of a close one they've had recently. No, it's been a while since anything's been close there. Well, I think, do you remember when Michigan State were undefeated a couple of years back, and they, they played them, and then it was like 45 nothing at half-time? I think that, that that's like the... <laughs> I would just love it if Michigan State won it. It'd be, it'd be so fun. Old Miss at Georgia. I know you know that Old Miss is the most fraudulent team in history, but if there's one team that has the firepower to keep up with Georgia, because this is what it is, it's firepower that teams lack to beat Georgia because of the defense. If there's one team that has the firepower to beat them, it's Old Miss. I mean, is, is the upset radar even tingling a little bit for you there, or are they just like completely fraudulent? No. The Old Miss defense, I, I just can't look past it. I just, I say a Georgia team that doesn't have Brock Bowers, I think could still hammer them. I think they'll still find ways to do it. Okay. But they are they are a credible threat on offense. They they might have to make it a pretty high scorer. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Brent goes. Rutgers has won me over after their fight they put against Buckeyes. I think Rutgers are getting a lot of fans. To be fair, I enjoy watching them at the moment. I've not said that in a long time. Indeed. You know, actually, there are some good games in here, but. One sided. So the other teams in the shot for the playoffs, really. So you've got Florida State, Washington, Oregon, and Texas. So Florida State are at home to the Miami Hurricanes, who got humbled this past week, but they could still be good. Washington are at home to Utah. Oregon are at home to USC. 
and Texas are on the road at TCU. Now, call me crazy, but my upset alarm is tingling, like, just even so slightly, in all four of those. I can see a world in where all four of those could lose. I mean, Florida State, it would be difficult, but if Tyler Van Dyke plays up... I saw how good this... If a good Hurricanes team shows up and plays its very best football and Florida State have an off day, this could be an upset. You've got Utah at Washington. I mean, that's probably the longest shot of them all, but their defense can do anything. And hey, they put up 55 in the week just gone. So who knows? USC at Oregon, Eugene, that's going to be a high scorer, probably, because all USC games are. But you saw Washington, they needed that one little moment to inspire them to beat USC. They could be an upset there. And, and Texas, who the hell knows? TCU, who the hell knows what they are this year? One week they're good, one week they're bad. I don't know, call me crazy, but my upset alarm tingles in all of them, Ryan. I can see the Trojans going to Eugene and winning. I can see Caleb Williams going in there for, throwing for 550 yards, four touchdowns, to be honest. Whether he wins or whether he loses, I think he'll go in there, he'll kick the Oregon Ducks' ass. I say, and Oregon have been really good all year, but I've just not cared about them. They've just been irrelevant. Like, since he lost to Washington, I have paid them a moment's interest. No, that should, that should upset them. It should bother them. But USC, they say, like they say, when a car animal's backed into a corner and licks it wounds, it's most dangerous. Caleb Williams right now, he is going to go out there and he needs to make a statement. Yeah. He is going to go out there after all, everyone mocking him for like crying. I think he's going to go in there and I think he could drop a hell of a lot of points on the Ducks. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he's got a point to prove, and I can see this been like 1,200 yards of offense, that sort of game, where they both put up like 600, 650 yards, and it goes crazy. If I'm putting an upset moniker out this weekend, it is USC or Oregon, just because of how open those two teams are. We saw what Washington did to Oregon, and USC are every bit as good as them on offense, so can USC's defense do something? I think I feel like Knicks is more prone to throwing picks than... Penix might be if he's under pressure so we'll see but I can see all of those been upsets um, Texas who knows um, Alabama on the road against Kentucky Stanford at Oregon State Stanford are on a roll at the minute and Oregon State just they're hanging but they're not good I mean upset there maybe tingling a little bit it's a question can the Stanford defence stop DJ their offence was scoring up mm. <clears throat> but if they hold or if they hold them under like twenty twenty five, Stanford have got a chance. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the other way to do it. I think if you nullify their offense, Stanford should win. Yeah, and I think it's going to be another big stage for Ilyk Iamana. If Iamana can have a good game against Oregon State's defense, then people need to start talking about him as one of the better wide receivers in the country because he potentially could be. The next three ranked teams are all Big Twelve. So number fifteen ranked Oklahoma State are at UCF. Uh, Kansas are at home to Texas Tech. Oklahoma are at home to West Virginia. Anyone who could slip there? Kansas. Give me Texas Tech right now. Ooh, I think West Virginia are going to upset Oklahoma as well. I, th I, th I think there's certain upsets Texas on the cards there. And they've got one of the best running backs in the entire country in Taj Brooks. Yeah. He absolutely shredded TCU. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, and then the others... 
Florida on the road to number 19 LSU. Arizona on the road to Colorado. They're a boulder. Big test for them. Rutgers, you've already said, are going to destroy Iowa. Tulsa on the road to Tulane. Duke on the road to UNC. And Baylor on the road to Kansas State. Any more potential upsets there? It's a big one for Arizona. I can I can absolutely see Arizona going in a boulder. And for me, it's not even an upset. Just because it's on the road. But Colorado are a mess. Mm, fired or, or moved their offensive... What was it? He, they've moved the offensive coordinator to something else and the QB's coach is calling plays now. So it's definitely a sacking, but they, they worded Patrick, it weirdly. They promoted him. Yeah, and they, they got rid of two people basically to do it. Yeah, they they worded it weirdly, but there's definitely been a power change there at the top with their offense. So yeah, I can see Arizona going in the ballroom really comfortably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they can as well. And yeah, I guess it wouldn't be an upset. Um, other things outside of that, um, Holy Cross away at Army. I'm calling a Holy Cross upset. Army going to lose to an SCS team now that they've upset me this week. I hope they do. I'm going to make that the feature game next week if Holy Cross win um anything else that stands out i don't know we're all good air force at hawaii oh good lord just please don't lose that one don't lose away at hawaii air force for the love of god just otherwise my life will be unbearable anywho um that is everything in terms of the week 11 preview thanks to everyone who's been with us this evening appreciate you again dealing with us with a thing but Streamlabs has been a pain in the neck this evening but the rest of the show has gone off without a hitch, so thank you to everyone who's been in. If you've got any questions you want to quickly ask us before we get out of here, please do, while I just go over the housekeeping bits. So the next pods, um, our main Detroit Lions podcast is tomorrow, 9th of November. It's our Los Angeles Chargers preview. We'll be getting um, Sean Black on from NFL Scotland. He's been on the show before, if you've, if you've watched him in the past. He's been on our draft shows. He's hella knowledgeable. That'll be good fun, so join the guys for that and myself and Ryan will be back roughly this time next week the 15th of November we'll be doing the week 11 review we'll be previewing week 12 we've also got a player segment coming up we were asked a question on last week's video from Frank Ribble he asked us about edges in the 2024 draft specifically ones on the fringe of the first round or situational pass rushes so me and Ryan are going to be highlighting some of the the better pass rushers in the first round and maybe later on in the draft uh, as always if there's anyone you want us to scout any positions any players we take requests like that so if you're listening frank we will do that segment for you next week when we've had a little bit of a chance to research it out so there'll be a lot on the episode next week so do join us for that um i think we're good <laughs> brent goes of course you will anthony go army um, hey, thanks Brent, we appreciate you being with us on the show and thank you for bearing with us through the cut again, I'm going to get these issues sorted so that we have one show per week not two very quick ones thank you to Lisa, thank you to Ken thank you to Grandizer, thank you to everyone who's hung with us this evening we appreciate you all and hopefully we're looking forward to another great weekend of college football action which we'll all chat about next week the Yukon guard yes Brent I'll do a uh, I'll do a breakdown on Christian Haynes I love him so much um, we will do a breakdown for the channel for him but yeah have a great weekend and hopefully we get to celebrate a Lions win over the Chargers but until then just remains for me to thank Ryan and we will see you again really soon one pride
Thank you for supporting the Roar of the Lions UK podcast. You can find us on our socials on YouTube at Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, Twitter and Instagram, ROTL underscore UK, and on our website, www.roaroftheliondsuk.com.